Hello and welcome to a very special second birthday episode of Beer Prime. Thanks for joining me again today for another celebratory episode. Later on, I'll be joined by Miranda and Bates from Duration. It's so exciting. We've been sort of having meetings with our landlord and beginning to reopen those conversations with the planners. So I think there's going to be quite a lot in the design. We'll be talking about their recent crowdfunding and what they plan to do with the investment, plus making the draw for the prize that they kindly donated. I'll also be joined by Andy Parker from Elusive Brewing. I really wanted to go big on the West Coast thing with it, off the back of how well Orange Trail is doing for us. And we got some lovely Simcoe Cryer and Simcoe Leaf and decided to just go big on those. We'll have a chat about what they've been up to and their latest homebrew competition. But the big announcement will be the exclusive reveal of the 11 breweries that will join Elusive for this year's Collabageddon. But first, and interspersed between those guests, I've been going through the questions and answers that my guests have been giving to questions set not by me, but by the previous guest on the episode. It's something I started way back in October 2020 on episode 9 with Rob Laws from Weirdbeard. There have been some great questions and some fascinating answers along the way, so I've cobbled them together and present them to you in three chunks. Here's the first one. This was a feature I started back in episode nine. I like the idea of someone posing a question to the next guest, mostly without knowing who that would be. There were no rules on whether it had to be beer related. And the first guest subjected to this ordeal was Weirdbeard's Rob Laws. When asked to pose a question, Rob decided to go down the non-beer route. As we'd had several beers by that time and he thought, that the more he drank beer, the less he wanted to talk about it. His question came with some words of advice about the pros and cons of the two possible answers. All right. So what I want to ask the next um, brewery stroke, beer person stroke, whoever you may be, <laughs> is um, if you were to fight a rhino or a tiger only armed with a pen, which would you choose now you need to bear in mind <laughs> that you might survive a rhino attack but a rhino has thick skin right and you might be sipping you might be sipping your soup through a straw for the rest of your life but it's not going to eat you but it's going to be a hard fight right a tiger might less it might be a you know you might be able to, to, to inflict more kind of substantial wounds easier because it's got thinner skin but this is going to eat you it's going to it's going to attack you and it's going to right that's my question the person with the unenviable task of answering this was robert wicks from western brewery his answer was very interesting and involved a meeting with a tennis legend oh crikey well this is actually quite interesting because um well when I was a teenager, I, um, I spent some time in Nepal 
um, on a travel scholarship, we were bird watching in Nepal and we went to the most famous place, which is closed now, it's called Tiger Tops. And it's where they have tigers and also one-horned rhinos. And one day we were out with a uh, tracker and we were doing bird, what we were bird watching in particular. And we unfortunately came across a rhino in the middle of the, uh, uh, the Terai in, in the southern part of Nepal. Finished up climbing a tree in order to get away from this rhino. <laughs> um, armed only with, a, with a, a pair of binoculars and a telescope. Um, Not a pen. <laughs> and then later on that evening, uh, we were actually watching tigers uh, with the same binoculars and uh, telescope. Um, and I remember I was watching this tiger and um, got this very quiet voice said to me, um, do you mind if I have a look through your telescope? And I said, no, of course not. So I stepped to one side and let this gentleman have a look down the telescope. And um, it was pitch black, so we couldn't see each other. And I couldn't see who he was. Uh, and we were watching this tiger for about 20 minutes, uh, feasting on a, on a goat that uh, had been uh, put there for its, uh, for its dinner. And as we walked back to the, uh, to the lodge afterwards, having watched this tiger, uh, this gentleman came up to me, put his hand on my shoulder and said, thank you very much for showing me uh, showing the tiger. He said, looking through a telescope was quite something. And uh, it was Bjorn Borg, uh, who was obviously the famous tennis player who was yeah. playing an exhibition match in Kathmandu at the time. So I've kind of seen rhinos and I've seen tigers. and I'm not sure which of them yeah. I would want to fight. Um, mm. Rhinos are fairly stupid. Um, once we got up the tree, it couldn't see us because their eyesight's not very good. Um, but its ears kept on rotating around like this as it could hear. We were having to be very quiet. Anyway, it sort of sauntered off. Um, we did once come across a, a tiger uh, over the three-week period we were there, and it growled at us as we walked past it. And we were probably about 20 feet away. So I've been pretty close to these um, animals. Um, so I would say, actually, the only thing I would want to do with the pen is, is sketch a picture <laughs> of the rhino or sketch a picture of the, um, uh, the tiger. The only thing I'd ever want to shoot would be a photograph of the tiger. I think they're the most beautiful creatures. Um, I think rhinos are amazing. Uh, the the one-horned rhinos you get in, 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 in the Indian subcontinent are beautiful. We mm. need to preserve these creatures. They're things Absolutely. of great beauty. Yeah. Um, so I don't anticipate either being eaten by a tiger or a, or, or a, or a rhino. I'll climb a tree and I'll, I'll, I'll just sketch a picture with the pen. Nice answer from Robert Wicks, furnishing us with a lot of detail too. So then it was Robert's turn to be question master for the next guest, which was Jager Wise from Wildcard. So my question would be very simple. Do you use English hops? And if you do, do you love English hops? And if you don't, why don't you use English hops? Oh, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I have used English hops before. So I used for a long time English hops in our lager to make it simply because of some of the subtleties that English hops can give. And I thought it'd be very well suited to a lager, and it actually was, it actually was. Do I use them now? Honestly, the answer is 
not really. And there are a couple of reasons why. So stylistically, wildcard has changed a lot. So when we started, we were very trad. Um, I'm sure lots of people used to know us for our jacket clubs, our cask beer. Um, so I would absolutely, if we go down that direction again, an exclusive for you, we're in the middle of uh, regening a pub, so we're redoing a pub. So the wildcard bitter is coming, <laughs> uh, so which is exciting. And so for those styles, I absolutely would look English, absolutely. Yeah. However, um, the kind of styles of beer, like the ones we've tried today, these heavy, mm. heavily hopped IPAs, like mm. we need sunshine for those big tropical juicy flavors. I love most things British. So to be honest with you, if, if, if that was a possibility for the kind of like stronger, kind of fruitier styles, the yeah. uh, kind of heavy IPAs, then absolutely, of course, I would rather choose um, yeah. British hops. I absolutely would totally look British if I was making more traditional styles or if I was looking at more subtle flavors. But I'm not looking right now for you to have a subtle, mm, I'm looking to punch you in the face with this flavor. So yeah. for that, and there's only so much money you can spend on, on hops, I'm looking for the most aroma, the most oils, the most bang for your buck in, in, uh, in your hop. And the reality is that predominantly comes with places that are high in sunshine so yeah. think um yeah. australia think new zealand think the u.s after jager's measured and well-informed answer she posed this question for the following episode's guest who was Stu mckinley from yeasty boys so the question i would ask to your next guest would be if you could change one thing about the uk brewing industry what would it be <laughs> wow that's a that's an open-ended question. <laughs> I feel like we need a panel discussion for this one. I, I can never veer away from politics, I think, in this one. I would remove Beerflex from CBA and let CBA concentrate on representing breweries only, which I think I've been very impressed with what they've been doing uh, and sort of, you know, from what I've come across in the media over the last year or so. Um, but I've been kind of like fairly outspoken against what I see CBA doing uh, since I've been here. I, I used to sit on the executive committee for the New Zealand Brewers Guild, as I've told you, and uh, I always thought that there was a problem with um, the fact that CBA uh, essentially are making money from bars and pub groups, which means they can't represent breweries as well as they should be. Uh, and I'm sure that there is a, um, a separation between state and religion or something in, in that situation but it's it's probably one of the things that i'd like to see um see changed i feel like it's probably you know not as uh groundbreaking or interesting a an answer as i could have given perhaps but um there have been some changes there which are probably headed in the right direction but it's um yeah. it's still something that bothers me yeah a great deal by his own admission a political answer from Stu, but certainly one that he feels strongly about Let's see what questions Stu posed for the following guest. So I'd like to know from your next guest, if they weren't doing what they do now in beer, what industry do they wish they were working in? This question went to Pete Hill, who runs the Brewer's Eye Beer app. There's two answers 
so I'm going to be greedy. Maybe <laughs> I could do it 50-50. Uh, I would have an ice cream parlour, definitely. Uh, growing wow. up on the northeast coast, Pesitos, if, if anyone ever goes to the northeast, please hunt down Pesitos and get a 99 whippy. Um, <laughs> it's very simple, vanilla, strawberry, and uh, lemon. But uh, yeah, incredible. So I would definitely try and copy that recipe and uh, set it up somewhere else. Maybe maybe on the West Coast so we can get a bit of sunset. Um, <laughs> and then probably trampolines and bounce castles because it was uh, the first job I've ever had. And uh, it was probably the best job I've ever had, <laughs> in fairness. <laughs> I got paid in pound coins, got a suntan. The body was definitely a lot different back then as well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, maybe try and go back there as well. So I reckon, yeah, bounce castles and uh, ice creams. Bouncy castles and ice creams, certainly something you'd make a fortune in during the heatwave that we've been having recently. So, what did Pete ask? I think the, the question would be, have you heard of a Parmo? <laughs> if you haven't, Google it now and tell me if you would eat it. Pete's very North Yorkshire-centric question went to London's Jack Hobday of Anspach and Hobday. Right, I'm googling. Okay, right, yeah, a, a, a local cuisine. It can see, it's a breaded cutlet of chicken or pork topped with white vegetable sauce, commonly with cheddar cheese. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I definitely have that. <laughs> Without a doubt, I'm all for. Especially if I was if I was up in Yorkshire, you know, when in Rome. Indeed. Um, yeah, I'd be all over that. For the record, I love a Parmo. I had one once at a beer festival, and it's the perfect accompaniment for a few beers. And that was by Palm Star, so check those guys out. So that question was for Jack in the Christmas episode, which was followed by a catch-up with a few previous guests, but Jack's question then went to Northern Monk's Brian Dixon. I'm thinking along the lines of something, trying to do something positive, like, which member of staff are they most proud of for their efforts last year? That is a tough one, and as much because it's really tough to narrow them down because we've got some absolute superstars. I'm not going to miss anybody. <laughs> I'm saying it's, it's pretty easy. I'm going to say Sophie, who's our HR manager, because from the day she came in, number one priority is just, like, everybody at work is happy. Like, I think it's so personally, if like, it's one person, it's, like, disgruntled, and, like, she is an absolute superstar, but... Now she's really pushed and led on a lot of our good cause work, like working with working with um, Holbeck together, who are, you know, so our breweries in Holbeck, which is, is in like the top like 0.1% most deprived sort of areas in, in the UK. And, you know, so we've worked with that. They were originally Holbeck, Holbeck, Holbeck Elderly Aid, and now they've sort of rebranded as Holbeck together to, because the work's expanded beyond just helping the elderly. And it's Sophie completely leads on that work, just working with the local community. Uh, and then from from obviously leading on leading on our hiring as well, like meet, trying to make sure that um, our hiring process is as diverse as possible. That we you know, try and include people local to the brewery, and uh, and we're in the process of um, working towards B Corp accreditation, which basically it's a global, basically recognise that you're a socially, environmentally, economically sound company, and you know, that's been sort of uh, sort of number one goal since she came in, um, and then like. We had over a thousand applicants for one packaging job over the summer, um, to the point that the, the, the news outlets found out about it and she ended up on BBC and live on Sky and and all that coming on. Obviously, the headline news obviously the one was just the massively rising unemployment and 
I've fallen back. Sophie came up with this initiative of like inviting people to send their CVs and we do, she'd do like uh, herself and Russell and other people in the business would do one hour one-to-one with this person, just helping them improve their CV and or get, getting them interview training and try, just trying to help people locally, you know, have a bit, their best chance of getting, the, getting themselves a new job. And so, yeah, she's just every minute of every day, just so driven on I mean, other people's lives better. A nice shout out to Sophie for all the great work that she was doing for Northern Monk. So it was soon Brian's turn to ask a question. Don't forget that this was recorded in January 2021 amidst another lockdown. What beer experience are you most looking forward to at the end of all this? Not just necessarily what your first paint's going to be, but like what what you're most looking forward to. Should add an and why to that as well. This question was posed to Sean Robertson from Guaylo. Um, It's this time of year um so if i walked out the door tomorrow um i would very much go to my local um and it would and i'm lucky enough that it it's not because it's just the local and everybody knows you and knows your name um and all that it's because it's just the most genuine experience you know you're not i think any pub goer that's explaining that say I'm left alone nobody bothers me if I want to chat to anybody I can if I want to um, you know uh, be helped or guided through what I'm drinking or otherwise I'm just there to be there so the local 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 experience is what I crave um, where you know you can look around that room and go do you know what you know I, I, I come in on Tuesday because I know what Tuesday's like um, on Thursday, you have the Irish jig band on the, you know, the so and so, and it's it's all of those things because whatever and wherever the environment is taking us next over the next two, five, ten years, I hope to goodness, I really do, that the genuine pub experience is never lost, um, and that we have a duty and responsibility to make sure that the industry is supported in that regard. The independent, um, it might find different form in terms of bottle shops or other types of environment. But for me, you know, especially at this time of year, to walk in that front door with the, you know, the slight bite in the air and you go, oh yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that Sean's local was the first beer experience that he had once restrictions were lifted. Sean's question also had a topical slant to it and was posed to Stacey Ie from Rock Leopard. When you're allowed back in the community, how would you choose to support it most? And obviously I'd then put the caveat that not necessarily beer, but how would how would you support your local hospitality? Um, well, I think one of the ways is um, doing the uh, indie spotlights and and sort of you know, putting out a product because obviously what what happened with uh, during the pandemic at the beginning nobody knew who was going to survive or anything like that and uh, so thankfully you know brewers were able to sell direct to to stay alive as it were certainly in my case you know that would be it was over it was game over because I was building up a little traction uh, selling to sort of pubs and the keg business was starting to take off. Um, where you know, whereas I'd had not you know setbacks with bottle shops, but I think certainly you know when if we, when we're back up again, doing beers you know specifically for 
you know, local hospitality in um, trades is the way uh, to go and try and help them. Stacy then asked his question, which was put to Beak Brewery's Danny Tapper. What do you wish you you'd done differently from when you woke up this morning? That is such a good question. That's that's amazing. Oh my God, <laughs> it's so difficult. Um, I, I, you see, I can think of answers, and they're all incredibly boring. Um, <laughs> I wish, I, I think, I wish I probably wouldn't have. What, I mean, maybe this is. I can wish what I wouldn't have done, which is to have not checked my phone before I got to work. Um, you know, like we live in this age now. I don't know about you, but like constantly checking my phone and it absolutely does my head in yeah yeah i'm re- i'm reading this book at the moment which is called 21 questions for the 21st century and it's all about like it's by a guy who wrote a book called sapiens which is really good i forgot his name but in it like last night he was talking about how uh we are more you know we're more connected than ever before and yet we're like less connected locally than we've ever been and that includes to the people in your own household so quite often you know you you sort of sat there at the dinner table even though i live with my wife and you're like you're both just looking at your phone it's completely ridiculous so we're like connected with you know i'm talking to someone in Philadelphia on my phone about beer and I've got someone directly in front of me who (laughs) and there's like that total loss of connection between the people we live with and our neighbors and you know like I kind of I've been thinking I want to set up this rule where I don't really look at my phone when I'm back at home and when you're starting a new business it's really difficult you get you become addicted to it and you're always looking for like someone on Instagram or whatever to like show their appreciation for something. And it's yeah. like quite a lot of the time, like this morning, I did remember thinking, this is stupid. Like this is work. Checking your phone is work. So do that when you're at work. And then like do your living, like your proper living like, uh-huh. out of work. So yeah, wish I hadn't checked my phone before I went to work. <laughs> So Danny found that a tough question to answer. What did he leave for the next guest? Well, we gave the three American brewery guests a pass. So Danny set two questions that went to Mike Burt from Brew by Numbers. I've probably got two questions. You can pick whichever you think's right. What, like on a more interesting level, I'd be like, what is your biggest regret? <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll get an interesting answer from that. The more boring one is like, what's, what is, like, what's the next big beer trend after the New England IPA? Classic question. The first question is very, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's very lethal in a good way. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Like, I think, I think, uh, you know, regret doesn't have to be a, a negative, does it? It can be a, it can be a positive. Um, my biggest regret, my biggest regret, knowing what I know now in the environment that I work in now, is that I did not at one point in my life study to be a brewer. I think the respect that I have for that industry and the, um, the incredible creativity that comes from all parts of the world, and I, and I see it in, in my job, is something that I constantly am jealous of. Like genuinely... 
I look at something that someone's doing in America, I'm like, oh God, I would give my, you know, my right hand to be in the wilds of Illinois brewing um, mushroom beer. Like I would love that. Yeah. And then I'm like, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I'd like to be in New York. Maybe I'd like to be brewing that kind of beer. But it always seems to be beer centric. So yeah, to be honest with you, I probably do regret that I didn't, uh, or I haven't, um, probably didn't. <laughs> I'm at that stage of my life where I didn't is the is the uh, is the <laughs> is the point. I didn't become a brewer. I think it's such an incredible job. I've got such a lot of respect for the hard work they do, and the end product. Yeah, for me, they're rock stars. Like genuinely, I know that that's a you know for for those listening that aren't so into beer it's a hard thing to understand but when i see a brewer that i i've had their beer and i'm like oh my god that's so good i look at them like oh, you nailed it like well done like that's such an incredibly hard thing to do and you've really taken it to the highest level so yes my regret <laughs> i'd love to be a brewer i'm obviously not <laughs> so all i have to do is drink their beers and talk about them um <laughs> and the slightly more boring question but i think the question that i could probably answer more accurately is um what do I think the uh, next beer style is going to be? It is going to be lager. There's no question about it. Everyone's been saying this for five years and for five years they've been wrong and I'm going to be right and you can quote me on that, <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> Don Zoko, Utopian, um, God, everyone, that doesn't mean that, anyone, Braybrook, everyone is throwing yeah. some really big hats in the ring and they're going, this is what a British lager tastes like, you know, yeah. using British ingredients, British malt, whatever. And they are making some insane products. It is going to be lager this year. Everyone's going to do one, and everyone's going to die by that sword. If you if you don't nail it, you will you'll be shown up like as a guy that didn't make the lager. Well, two good answers there from Mike, and one of those was nailing his colours to the mast that lagers would be the big beer style of the year. In all fairness, he wasn't wrong. Little did he know that his task was to set a question for one of the lager breweries. He'd just been lauding Utopian and their head brewer, Jeremy Swainson. In your opinion, what is the best country for beer? But I want to hear like a, a really good reason why. I don't want to hear, you know, I just want to hear like, not that their beer is the best. What's the best country for beer? That can be pubs, that can be brewers, beers, ingredients. What is yeah. the best country in your opinion for beer and, and like a real big why? Yeah, you, you'd think it would be an easy answer. I'd just say Germany or, or the Czech Republic, but he, <laughs> he'd ask for, for a good reason. Um, that, that's pretty tricky. Um, I could imagine a utopia, which, which sort of combines many different aspects of, of different <laughs> countries together. I'm going to say the Czech Republic, because currently that is the place where I would love to drink beer more than anywhere else. Um, and it is what I've missed most being in lockdowns. Mm. The Czech drinking culture is incredibly, you know, beer is just a staple food. It's, uh, it's not stuck up. It's cheap. It's served in large frothy glasses with care and, you know, thick, beautiful head. And uh, nobody looks at you funny if, if you down pint after pint uh, and, and eat more pork and dumplings than, than, <laughs> than your stomach can handle. I mean, that, that, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, unpretentious beer enjoyment in the Czech Republic. And, and there's so many breweries. You know, Kutna Sumavi is like the most hyped Czech brewery ever to have existed. They're out of business now because the Czechs do not care 
about what brewery is hyped. It, it doesn't matter. It's all just, you know, what's on tap, where are you drinking it, and, uh, and does it taste good? And, uh, yeah, the Czech Republic. There we go. So the Czech Republic is the best country for beer in Jeremy's eyes. He posed a question which unwittingly was pretty much the same as one of the two questions that Mike before him had been asked. What is going to be, in your opinion, the beer trend? So the style that becomes the biggest style, the next cool thing, you know, in 2022 after hazies are done with. What are we going to see? The person to answer this was Pat Jones from Leith's Pilot Beer. Oh, if I knew that, I'd be a much richer man than I am. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't see where it goes next. You know, there's, there's obviously in sort of, in cool beer world, we're all, we're all back on lagers. But is that, you know, is that the next big thing? That's always been the big thing. That's always been 90% of the market anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, and it strikes me that everything's cyclical. We'll go. People have been trying to relaunch West Coast Pale IPAs for the last couple of years, and I don't, I don't see hazy IPAs and big fruited sours going anywhere any quickly, uh, very quickly. You know, I think I think for the foreseeable, we're just going to see a progression of that. Harking back to the other half beer we had earlier, I, that style has gone as far as it can go. As for what's next, God, you tell me, you tell me and tell me in secret and we'll do it. <laughs> I've been behind the curve for my eight year brewing career, so I'm, I'm not going to start predicting any trends now. Answered in typical pilot beer fashion there. Pat set the following question. I think an interesting question, and I, I have my views on it, is kind of harking back to the supermarket question. Do we owe the people who've supported us on the way up anything? Or have they bought a product and sold it for a profit and that's it? I very much know my answer, but yeah, it's it's interesting to hear. Pat's question was another to jump over an episode and was put to Ruth Mitchell from Elusive Brewing, who is excited to have been asked a question by Pilot. Okay, I'm a bit of a Pilot fangirl, so that was actually quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I now feel that, yeah, if I called Andy a games geek, then I get a sort of big geek with a big stamp on my forehead at this point. <laughs> um, wear, it, wear it with pride. I will do, thank you. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and I guess it's quite a difficult one to answer because you don't want to upset anyone in any way. I think our view as a business, first of all, is that when we work with customers, we try to have... A relationship that is mutually beneficial it's not about us being the provider and them being the customer and they they buy it we aim for more of a relationship than a transaction and so that means that we wouldn't it's not before that we owe them anything but those people are really important to our business and so they're the ones that have got us to where we're going or got to where we are now and they're the ones that are going to help us get to where we're going and that doesn't mean that we're never going to work with new people and we're never going to work with bigger people but it does mean that we kind of we really appreciate the help that we've got and that would be taken into consideration when making any kind of further decision um from a from a personal point of view particularly sort of my sales hat on I always think that as brewers we need our customers far more than the customers need us 
decent beer, exceptional beer, actually. We're really lucky in the UK that you can get that from a wide variety of different places, but a, a good customer is really hard to find. Um, and so we probably need to, to cherish them as an industry slightly more than we do. And I always think that it's very easy kind of on, like, on the way up the hill to think, oh, I'm going to achieve amazing things um, and kind of sort everyone else. But then when we need help at some point, then we need to really sort of bear in mind how we've treated the people that we kind of scrambled over. I think we, we need to remember that yeah, our business is important, but we want to we want to work with other people and help them grow. And in return, they help us and it, it kind of all, all works very well. I think the other thing, honestly, that probably not with Elusive, but in previous roles, I've always tried to think about and when I've had people that are trained or reported to me I've tried to say to them is we work in a very small industry it's a really lovely industry and the fact that you get to know so many people is great but those people also probably have quite long memories and so if you treat someone without a great deal of respect just because they're in one particular job you never know where that person is going to end up and they will probably remember how they were treated so uh, mm. it's all be nice that's the that's the rule a great answer from Ruth, which I think sums up the fantastic collaborative ethos within the craft beer world. Right, we'll take a break from the questions and answers to welcome our first guests, Miranda and Bates from Duration Brewing. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, on this day in history of the UK, doing well to cool myself down with a lovely can of turtles all the way down. Oh, well, I'm going to join you then with a, a little fanfare. <laughs> Excellent. And Bates, what are you on? Sun on my shoulders. New beer from uh, us with YCH Hops. Yakima Chief Hops, who are like Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Hop merchants, yeah. Excellent. And what hops are in that one? Dry Hop is a new one, which is HBC 586. And then a little bit of Citra Cryo and Citra or, um, Mosaic Cryo. Just a little bit of both of those. Though, and Citra Cryo. Yeah, and then we put some quite classic late hops in, like Cascade and Centennial. But the HBC586 is a new and experimental hop that's supposed to give quite a lot of, like, peachy... Melon and berry, salad bowl of fruit. And when it was packing, oh, my God, it smelled like a peach cobbler going <laughs> on in the brewery. <laughs> wow. Well, cheers. Yes, cheers, cheers. I love the smells that are, you know, when I visit breweries. I love yeah. the, those smells. I like the way it feels roasty and warm, you yeah. know, like when the mash is finished, it just feels like you're inside a big loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> we spoke last in December. Um, mm -hmm. You were my guest for the Christmas special, yeah. but a, a lot has been going on with you guys since then. Uh, let's get straight on to the main thing. You went through some crowdfunding. Talk us through how that went. I mean... I was really scared because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of unprecedented times all round, isn't it? And I just had no idea. And the level of support that came out for it, I found really heartwarming and overwhelming and just very generous. And especially with our local customers, you know, and people that actually come and visit the taproom regularly, they were just like, we love everything you're doing. There's no way we don't want to support you. Um, even down to my rugby team, like all of the girls on that were like, oh, I've put in a tenner, I've put in 50 quid. And then, you know, people that we've never met before, we had no idea who they were that were putting in, you know, very large sums. Mm. So 
it was amazing and great and lovely. And like we had a small shareholding before that and they were like, won't it be a lot more work having lots and lots of smaller shareholders? And I was like, in a way, it'd be really nice because then you've got lots of advocates and kind of very loyal fans that hopefully will hang about in the web shop and come along to your events. So I think it's really about growing the community around our business that we want. So I think it benefits us in both ways. Like obviously it enables us to do some of the growth plans that we want to do, but it also, you know, makes us feel like there's a gang around us and people supporting us. Yeah, excellent. It's different from a lot of crowdfunding that's happened with other breweries. Some of them, the model they've used is contribute some money and you'll get some rewards. Mm. Um, but there's no kind of actual shares on offer. But as you were saying about, you know, with the shareholding, you know, people are actually investing their money and actually are shareholders of Duration Brewing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's so nice is when people come visit and they're like, well done on the crowdfund. I put a bit in. <laughs> Welcome to your brewery. You know, like <laughs> they are part owners and... Bates and I are owners as well and it's a tangible thing I don't think it's quite not it's not quite right but other things are more fundraisers I, I see what you mean it's, it's probably a different word for it isn't it the other thing but well um, no so- no I think they are called crowdfunds just ours was an equity crowdfund but I feel like the other right. one is more like a sponsor us or donate or just help us get where we want to get which is valid in itself yeah but there's no potential return other than the immediate reward that's offered with it but also from a company perspective if you do that and say you offer like spend 10 pounds get 20 pounds in the bar it's kind of like a loan really isn't it you're just getting some money but you're having to do something for it and then you're giving something back so Mm. it's quite a simple transaction I guess which some people might like but I wanted people that join us to sort of have a loyalty which means they're with us and if we do well they do well so yeah, our promise was more for like a dividend than a, a big buyout with an exit where you make your money. It was more like keep, put your money in and, uh, you know, if, if we do well, there'll be dividends and we'll all get some. Yeah, no, absolutely. I contributed as well. I um, uh, invested, sorry, invested is the word. Sorry. Yeah. And I very much liked it that it was that I would be getting some shares. I mean, you know, I'm not deluding myself in any way, shape or form that I'm any, <laughs> anywhere near. Um, any kind of majority shareholding I know that my amount is just a, a but that's this is the, I mean every amount is relevant like a lot of people always sort of go all humble and go oh, well mine wasn't very much but the whole point of it is that we had 620 mm. odd people come in and collectively that's a huge mm. amount of money you know I think we got 440,000 or something like that it actually wow. just paid into our bank account yesterday so it's like woohoo it's oh, yeah there's a lot of legal paperwork and getting everything you know agreed and I think the point is whatever amount you've put in you are part of the crowd and that crowd collectively is doing amazing things to help yep. business so that support is felt and it really I don't think people need to feel like, oh, I'm so sorry, I only put in a little bit. It's all amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I've done that with a couple of other breweries, the, the other type that we were talking, where mm-hmm. you give a certain amount and you're getting either a box of beers for it or a T-shirt or a tour yeah. or something like that. So I've done that in a couple of other breweries. 
and been perfectly happy for that. But with your one, I saw your vision for what you were going to do with that and the fact that, you know, that we would have shares in that. And I just love that idea. So let's go to talk about that vision. And you mentioned about how much you got, 440,000, which is incredible. Your target was 350,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you reached that with 10 days to go, which was amazing. <laughs> um, and then you were on to your stretch goals. So what were you going to do with that first 350? So our brew house is quite substantial. We really don't think we're going to need a bigger brew house. So every year we've got planned cellar expansion. So as our sales grow, we can put in more fermentation vessels and tanks into the cellar. We want to expand the brew house not just with fermentation tanks, but maybe I upgrade the laboratory a little bit, put somewhere to put the grain store in a bit more evenly. Yeah, there's a few little tweaks that we could do to our canning line. So yeah, expand the brewery in a way where we've been working in it for a couple of years and, and we know that there's a few things we can do to streamline everything. We also would like to add to our sustainability and we see that in two ways. One is planting a fruit orchard and adding rainwater recapture onto the roof so that we can use less water overall. We're quite into how we process at the brewery to be quite circular in the waste management. So the fruit orchard and the rainwater on the roofs will both give us biodiversity right around the brewery, help the bats, the birds, the bees, maybe have enough fruit to go into beers someday and the rainwater will help us just use less on the water side. But the other way we see being sustainable is making sure our team are looked after and really growing that side of the business well. So we'd like to bring in some of our core team into the shareholding as well and offer like a reward and retain system, like a staff equity scheme. We are very remote. So if people choose to want to come and up sticks and and move to come work with us or they're locally recruited and they they want to stick with us then we think that needs rewarding. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, make make sure your, your team that you've spent time and energy um, training into the way we do things here really believe in us and feel part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously the big bit that we kind of plugged around everywhere <laughs> is put a taproom in. So we've, we've got a yeah. taproom in our barrel store at the moment. It's lovely. It's actually got a really nice atmosphere at the moment, but it's just a little bit too small. Mm. Um, So we'd love to put like a dedicated tap room with a kitchen, you know, still keep it very informal and very so you can congregate and meet people. And we're very family focused, sort of you can bring your dogs in like it's all very relaxed where we are. But yeah, a dedicated space. And we never really knew whether people come all the way out here. Um, but actually locally it's really been took up on and when people can travel they've been traveling out to see us so yeah yeah so I mean what's the capacity going to be like in the new tap room so it'll probably be about 90 covers so yeah 90 people inside but then good weather during the summer up there obviously we have outdoor seating Yeah, and we're we're doing it right, like putting in a nice, decent sized kitchen Mm. and putting in a nice cold store to do direct draw for the beers. So that will take up a little bit of the footprint. But we've got this sort of third end of our stone barn. So the brewery's on the left and then on the right, there's maybe an eight metre by 12, 15 metre sort of rectangle. And um, 
we can put two levels in there. So okay. it should be a really nice... I'm imagining it like the bar downstairs, maybe some merch and the loose and the kitchen and the cellar, and then a bit more standing room or perches and just, you know, the bar and space downstairs and then upstairs, you know, more of the sit down kind of space. And obviously if people have got push chairs or they're in a wheelchair or something, we'll make sure that there's nice places for everyone to be. But yeah, I imagine people going upstairs to have the views into the brewery and out to the landscape. Yeah, and that's going to be amazing. Um, now, I've, I've seen the the pictures of how you want it to look. In particular, there was actually on the beer that you had, your crowdfunding beer for the duration. Uh, there was the design of how you want your tap room to be. Glass frontage. It looks like it's going to be incredible. It is. <laughs> it's so exciting. We've been sort of having meetings with our landlord and beginning to have reopen those conversations with the planners so I think there's going to be quite a lot in the design now before we can actually begin building so the timeline could be a little ways off but we've got to get it right you know with a historic building there's lots of stakeholders like historic England and you know Mm. architecturally and historically heritage wise everyone's got to sign off on it so all of the detailing has to be done but yeah yeah, the whole idea of the glass is that that end of the stone barn is falling down anyway rabbits have kind of got underneath the building and there's buttress so there's no actual foundations and so there's this whole edge it's like a big slice of bread loaf of bread coming off oh right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we're gonna fell that gently and it's being held up by steels at the moment, and then build it back with two feet of stone when it's beautiful outside. Why not put glass there and get some yeah. light in the building? Yeah, very true. You mentioned having a, a decent-sized kitchen. So are you looking to have a varied menu, or will you, will you concentrate on a certain type of food? We haven't fully explored it. Bates, have you got anything to say here? No, I mean, I think if we end up taking it in-house and not having it as like a incubator kitchen for food traders that just come in weekly or monthly or whatever probably keep it like seasonal and local there's some great seafood up here as well yeah changes the season goes on Mm. sort of thing but we have made some really nice relationships with some amazing local food traders actually in the depths of lockdown we were allowed to be an essential shop and they were allowed to do takeaway so you know we haven't really explored the whole offer of the kitchen just because Norfolk's great for food and there's there's so much around that it's almost like that will just be the icing on the cake when we when we get to it but what I can say is it will be stuff that goes deliciously with beer and I don't think Bates and myself want anything too formal so it'll just be convivial easy you know something that you can all sit down together and just go at (laughs) yeah nice food for eating with beer so yeah 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 and just family style you know I don't think it's going to be anything overtly formal but delicious and well put together yeah excellent okay the last time we spoke in December since then I've read that you've installed a centrifuge tell me a little bit about what that does it's basically if you've got a salad spinner at home it's similar to that it's just using centrifugal force uh, it just allows us to move the beer from the primary fermentation to our packaging tank, spin out, get the yeast counts we want, 
make sure that we don't have hop sediment and it allows us to do that at a faster rate because up until now we would have to rely on time temperature and pressure so you're Letting putting top gravity, pressure yeah drop the top bucket. pressure dropping it at zero and then having to drop hops mm -hmm. in the east out every day whereas mm. that might take seven eight days after primary fermentation and dry hopping is done we can move it more to like two days because we have the ability to spin it out uh we squeeze a little bit more beer out of it that way as well because we're not dropping hops in the yeast every day we're so it's saving us time on the process but it's also giving us a better yield and yeah. it just makes for a better quality beer that we know is much more shelf stable because we can get yeast counts we want you know there's no hop particulate we can get the clarity and brightness because you can change how you discharge or how fast you're spinning it or how fast you're coming in and going out so say something like that, which you can't see, but <laughs> as compared to that, you know, that can- He's held up his beer and my beer. <laughs> Is that a hoppy IPA versus a Belgian yeah. yeast saison? Yeah. Yeah, so it's just better overall, a slight bit more work on the short term for the day, because it might take you a couple of hours or something, whereas- you might drop hops for an hour or something off each tank or whatnot. But, you know, in the long run, it's one person that's sitting there setting up centrifuge and once it's running, it's running. They can be doing other jobs and they're not mm -hmm. manually dropping hops and doing all that sort of stuff. A lot of our breweries actually been designed with the brewer's day in mind. So okay. our equipment is semi-automated. There's a lot as a brewer that you have to do that's, very physical and that's unavoidable you've got to open your grain bags and pour them in but you know you're always moving around with pumps and things but but we try to make it as not backbreaking as possible so yeah we've designed the brew house in a way that's very systematic so it flows around in a nice system but also things as we grow we'll add more as well uh, like another vessel grain handling eventually I would like to have like a, a keg vacuum arm so nobody's actually loading kegs. Oh, yeah, you did a lot of kegs. Picking it up you? off of that, setting it down, filling yeah. the next one, picking up, setting it down. But, but if you can look at the processes, because ultimately you're a factory, aren't you? And yeah. if you're doing the same task repeatedly and you can make it easier for the operative doing it, then why wouldn't you? Because then your operative can be concentrating on delicious recipes yeah excellent so uh, that's the next thing on the wish list then what, like the big adnams keg filler Have you seen that? <laughs> no, it's not quite at that level but they do have keg handling systems that are like vacuum that you just yeah. lock it and then you can move it onto the pallet and maybe the next one sort of thing yeah i just don't want the future generation of brewers to end up with a back like mine sort of thing <laughs> learn from experience yeah okay fantastic we mentioned earlier the beer for the duration that you had as mm -hmm. your sort of crowdfunding you probably didn't call it this yourself but more of a kind of like a sales pitch in a can yeah it was like I, the official beer of the crowdfund yeah and, so, and i i actually um thought it was the perfect beer for the purposes of what you were doing because it was an accessible abv 
you know, just 4.5%. So it wasn't going to alienate people that didn't want to drink high ABV beers. And the use of your house yeast gave the beer a very much a, a what I call, and I'm sure this isn't the word, durationness. Oh, I love it that you say that. <laughs> I love that. It, it did, because there, there are some breweries that you drink a beer and you don't have to look at the can to see who produced that beer. I think Burning Sky, another. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of your beers, particularly for the duration, yeah, it has that character to it that your beers have. It's just easily identifiable. And I think when you have got to that level where people can pick up a glass, take a sip and say, yep, that's a duration beer, then you know, you're, you're, you're there, aren't you? We're there or you're drinking too much. <laughs> well, there is an argument for that as well. No. I love it that you say that, Paul. That's so nice. We recently did a big road trip as part of that beer launch and the whole talking about the crowdfund. And, you know, you're not the only one to have said that to us. And there's like, there's something about a duration beer and people describe it as quite clean, quite balanced, but like a little bit of piquant to it. And there's a little something behind it. We do use yeast probably more than we advertise on the can to define our beers obviously we do a lot with hops as well yeah it's just really nice to hear you say that that you can taste yeah. <laughs> you, you can no you definitely can we should also talk about when that's kind of going to come about mm-hmm. so we have already started the design process it's basically to minimize impact on production we tend to do all of our expansions and building stuff kind of in January February so if we can we'd love to start by then but builders are quite hard to come by at the moment and it's probably going to be quite drawn out getting the details so if it's not this spring it will be the following spring so we're really really hoping that by the summer of 24 we can have a big launch party but actually to build the stone barn tap room we're probably going to see if we can get planning through to put a couple of other smaller farm buildings on our site so that we can sort of sidestep. Like there's a lot of pallet racking and everything in the main brew house and we want to build the taproom up to where operations are and then mm. take away the wall so that we're not making a mess everywhere and we can't brew. So we feel like to move all of that storage into a secondary barn would be helpful so that we could do the work and then it all comes together seamlessly. So there's actually a sort of other building that we're planning to build. Um, hopefully the fruit trees will go in, you know, in spring. Yeah, so I'd say delivery over the whole project. We, we've started and we're working, chipping away at it, but the whole delivery probably will take two years. Right. Okay. So something for us all to look forward to then. Yeah. But it might, <laughs> might mean we get two launches because we might get a launch in the new building when the taproom might expand or move over to there then we'll build the big one and then be there so right good. <laughs> Double two, la- two launches <laughs> so you can't, can't complain with that absolutely yeah. aside from all of the work that you're going to be putting in on the future of the tap room and uh, the rest of your improvements mm-hmm. what else have you got in the future planned i mean lots of delicious beers <laughs> naturally yeah. anything you can discuss at the moment or is it all secret i've got a few collabs coming up with some sort of special bears uh we've got, got one some time off 
That's got some time off. <laughs> what have you got there? <laughs> that is high up because we really haven't had a break. Like, no, I bet it's been all go. Who thought opening into 2020 would be a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we I'm really excited about. We've just done it's a collaboration, but it's a dual release with a brewery over in the States called Forrester, Maine. Oh, yeah. So we've picked a lightly hopped, lightly dry hopped Saison. And we've called it a shared sky because we're... They're in Pennsylvania, so they're northern hemisphere, just kind of directly across. Yeah, so we can... And then we've we've picked the grist bill. We both use grains very local to us. And it's our interpretation on the same sort of base recipe, but they're going to use their riff on it and put their own interpretation into it. And we're going to do the same. So we've picked all American hops, whereas they're putting all English hops in as a sort of tribute to each other. Yeah, and it will be released in both parts of the world. Excellent. Okay. That sounds great. I love it that when I talk to breweries, so many, if we're talking about what's coming up, so many times it's all about collaborations. Um, They are plentiful, but I never tire of breweries getting together and collaborating because it's just so pure. It's so amazing. Um, You know, I've spoken about it on the podcast so many times, so it just wouldn't happen in any other industry. No, I I think it's one of the beautiful things. Yeah. 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 Even even in even in beer, you know, Carlsberg and Heineken are not going to call each other anytime soon and uh, get together and make a beer. I mean, that would be horrible right there anyway. But, um, you know, it's just beautiful that 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 happens in the craft beer world. And I'll never tire of it. It's never going to be something that you think, well, you know, collaborations, I'm over that. I would never get over it because there's always there's so many permutations yeah of things you can do. bring to the party like imagine if you put this brewery and this brewery together what would you get it's like yeah perfect duets or like totally yeah i mean we've still got a fully spawn beer that we did with burning sky that Firm might friends. not see the light yeah. of day another year and a half or mm-hmm. so but and we were so chuffed tasting good that they wanted to do a mixed firm beer with us yeah. But yeah, we've we've also sort of started branching out and looking at collabs that we can do just with other companies that we admire that aren't necessarily brewers. So there's a dear friend of Bates and mine who um, we've known for years and she's set up her own black run female floristry and she makes beautiful bouquets and like does installations and has got quite into the corporate world as well. And she's sort of really uh, disrupting the scene and like telling Covent Garden flower market what for and how they need to sort of wake up to the modern age and she makes amazing floral displays but she I just really admire her for being you know a big pair of balls in a in an industry that needs shaking up I guess you know and so so yeah we're doing a beer together with her she's got some Jamaican heritage in her yeah we were looking at maybe something with Maybe oysters. Oyster style. Yeah. Oyster flowers. Mm. Oysters from here. And um, wow. and then there's a really beautiful clothing company up here that's a very loved Norfolk brand, and they just make beautiful garments. You know, like a lot of wax, sort of oiled. Um, it's all handmade, and it's all made here. Yeah, and like family run. So we were talking with them, and we want to do a collaboration together, and maybe we could team up to do some merch that goes alongside it but then the other thing I'm quite excited about is like we said yes to a lot of festivals 
and lots there's so many brewery led festivals now aren't there mm. so we've just been at these hills uh, with Beak and we're off to um, Fidelity was last week Fidelity was last week and then we did the Little Earth Projects first sour festival or mixed firm festival you know and going off like there's one at Verdant and there's just so so many Rivington are doing one that are brewery ran festivals which I think is just really exciting because that that for us is like the next extension from a collab it's like yeah. if you were a brewery who are your friends who would you invite how would you present it you know what would it be like so when we've got yeah. the tap room we'll, we'll do one for sure yeah yeah that'd be great <laughs> I so wanted to go to these hills, but I couldn't make the weekend. It's such a shame because oh. from, from what I've seen of uh, pictures of people that people shared, it looked amazing. It was amazing. And it will be amazing next year. So you can come. Yeah. There. Oh, no. Next year, I'm going to make sure that I don't have anything on yeah. that weekend. <laughs> uh, we, we found the site for where we want to have ours, which is amazing. And we'll definitely have like a little transport link between the brewery and the festival. So you can visit and do both it's only about 20 minute walk it is a 20 minute walk but you know yeah and yeah so we've just begun speaking to the venue and kind of thinking about it so that makes it really fun when we're at festivals now because we can take notes and like you know look at it with with our eyes on for when we put ours together Absolutely. See what they've done right and what they've done wrong as well. So, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's that learning curve for, for both sides of it, really, yeah. isn't there? And I'd love to bring in a bit of Norfolk because if people are coming for a visit, I'd love to show them a bit of what happens around here. And like the site we're on, we're opposite a theatre and there's a gallery around the back and all different artists do all different kinds of workshops back there. So I'd love to like tie it in with a, you know, expo of all that's good and tasty and nice to see while you're here excellent (laughs) okay well look forward to that very much so right okay so you were kind enough to offer a prize Mm -hmm. to celebrate the second birthday of the podcast thank you very very much for that happy birthday Um, how many how many episodes have you done this would be episode 52 oh yeah yeah thank you very much um so yeah we've had people liking and sharing the post and also following both of us Excellent. Uh, so I'm going to see if I can share my screen uh, can you see that yes I can excellent okay so we're going to spinning wheel we've got everybody's name on that spinning wheel and just have to click here and okay let's see whose name comes up Tim of Newbury Tim of Newbury. Congrats, so Tim. That's on Twitter. Tim Thomas. There you go. Well done, Tim of Newbury, then, for winning. What's he the... won? What's he won? Uh, well, he's won a six-pack of beer yeah. and a, a tour of the brewery. The tour and tastings are on the first Saturday of each month at three o'clock, and they're always run by myself or Bates. They Wonderful. include a keepsake glass and a tasting through four beers as well fantastic so not only does him get the six cans he gets some lovely beers while he's when he's doing the tour as well and not just some you know any old tour guide that doesn't know what they're talking about you get one of you two yeah doing the tour fantastic. i guarantee i know what i'm talking about but he'll get me i'm sure you do i'm <laughs> sure you do <laughs> excellent okay well thank you very much uh, for donating that prize and uh, well done tim for, for winning oh. that Happy birthday. Congrats on reaching two years on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. 
Right, okay, so as you know from when we spoke in December, I like to ask the previous guests to pose a question. So I've got one for you, and it's from one of your near neighbours. It's Andy from Ampersand, just on the Norfolk-Suffolk border. Andy from Ampersand asked... Well, the question is, if they could, which beer style would they eradicate from history? I mean, I would say something different to Bates. (laughs) I'd probably say like a smoked beer needs to go. A smoked beer. Sorry. Mm. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, I'm partial to a smoked beer. <laughs> it's only because I have to eradicate it. No, I, you have to eradicate it. I believe all yeah. things should exist, even if I don't like them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. Bates, how about you? Probably fruited kettle sours or pastry stouts. Probably lean more towards fruited kettle sours. Right, okay. So you wouldn't put a tipper in the bin? No, because I understand you could probably make a good version of that whereas fruit and kettle sour is just 49 percent fruit puree i mean fuck anybody can do that and then kettle <laughs> sour you know single note sort of pony it's it's a alcoholic uh innocent smoothie <laughs> <laughs> okay fantastic so fruit kettle sours That's and smoked, smoked beers <laughs> So smoked fruited kettle sours would be well out, to be honest, wouldn't they? I don't think they exist, actually, so that's all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to come back and ask you to pose a question as well. But before mm-hmm. that, I've been going through all of the questions that everybody's been posing for the next guest. And we've had some interesting questions. We've had some quite heavy ones. We've had some bizarre ones. And we've had some quite fun ones. So I thought I would throw a couple out at you guys. Okay. Well, more of the kind of light fun end of things i thought i'll keep it light a question from uh, beck from electric bear in bath was quite simple what's your favorite cheese no cheese no cheese at all i mean okay. i do eat some cheese so i would say my favorite cheese is melted cheddar or mozzarella okay as in stuff that could go on pizza or lasagna that's about as cheesy as that's I as cheesy as you get right okay yeah. Bates, are you a cheese fan yeah probably any kind of blue uh Chelton. One of my favourites. We get sent and a I massive like, wheel of Stichelton any, Christmas. Any cheese, really, I like, but I... Manchego? Favourite towards the, like, really deep blue cheeses and stuff. Right. You can't see my face, but I'm really pulling it. <laughs> yeah, you're not loving that. You, you wouldn't put uh, that on a pizza, then? You wouldn't melt blue cheese into a pizza? Yeah. Gorgon- I was, Gorgonzola. My, Gorgonzola my on the pizza. My favorite pizza topping is anchovies, jalapenos, and blue cheese because it's just like umami. He made um, gorgonzola ice cream as well to go on the peach cobbler when we were doing like food pop up things. (laughs) That sounds interesting. Uh, Okay, fantastic. Then James from Hopstop on my first birthday episode said, What's the best snack you can imagine to go with beer? Talking just bar snack in a bag. Yeah, any any snack that while you're drinking a beer. I really like wings. Snyder's pretzel pieces. Oh, yeah. Wings are more like a, a meal. meal. I'd go Snyder pretzel pieces or I love pickled eggs. Okay. <laughs> I think you can't beat crisps. Yeah. Beer. What type of crisps? Balsamic vinegar. Ooh, mm. nice, nice. Or little this... nasty bits like, you know, wasabi peas or... You know, the oh, Japanese yeah. coated peanuts. 
they oh, the, yeah, the, the ones that are crispy and you crunch in and you've got the yeah. things inside. Yeah, I like those. They're a bit too wide of a question because it kind of depends on the on beer. beer. Yeah, it's like I don't want to eat jalapeno Snyder pretzel pieces when I'm having a stout, so but with a, lager, a lager, with a lager, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. Right, so this one is perhaps a, li- a little bit more of a kind of thinker than favorite cheese and snacks. Do you think that brewing is more of a science or an art? I don't think you can have sort of one without the other. You need to learn the science, the backbone, all of the basics, and then you can start making arts, like that saying of like, oh, jazz is just loose. The only reason jazz is loose is because they're such good musicians before they start getting loose. So mm-hmm. like most jazz musicians the that discipline. so much training and so much like, either schooling and all of that, that then they're like all right i got bones down now let's explore and yeah. see where i want to take it but alchemist is a really good i feel like that covers both sides yeah yeah um, okay i'd i'd say bates is more an artist than a scientist but he's a scientific a scientific approach. artist maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> excellent yeah i mean that question was from uh, johnny at new Barns. Oh. So uh, that's a little while back earlier this year. There you go, though. That's proving because that's three people between him, Gordon and Emma that grew up there that know their backbone that then they can start doing what they want to do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you have a question to set to the next guest? Yeah, if you want one last easy one, more lighthearted <laughs> since we had COVID. British walk up to the bar pub service or... American table service when you're at a bar. Right. Yeah. Now yeah. I've experienced that. You can order there. You have somebody to come to you to order. Yeah. So we Which have you... to evolve a bit more. You'd have to start tipping, I think. Yeah. Because when yeah. you have table service, you've got the server coming up to you, sitting you down, running your drink, running your check, running your change, taking the payment. There's a lot of work compared to being at a bar, getting a beer, walking off. And I know yeah. a lot of UK brewers will have been to the States, experienced that, or even European. European is much more kind of a mix of mm-hmm. the two sort of thing. So I think that would be a good one because they'll obviously be running tap rooms and things like that. So what works better? What do you yeah. like better? Yeah. I definitely missed being able to sit at the bar. It's not just going to the bar to get the drink, but actually sitting at the bar as well. That's my favorite um, place to yeah, yeah, I love that. I love going in, pulling up the stool, just sitting at that bar and just, yeah, enjoying yeah. the drinks and, and, sit, and watching everything go on. I just yeah. love that. But also, we're spoiled. In craft beer, there's so many people that absolutely love giving good service. So, you know, whether that's the bottle shop that you were talking about where you can order your beers in and collect at the end or, you know, just, just having your bartender talk you through the lineup of what's on offer. like. Yeah the interaction that people get when they're purchasing craft beer, I think is unrivaled in any other industry. I think it's a really good service that we get. And I, I really commend all of the people that have left other well-paid jobs and whatever to follow their passion and bring this communal kind of way of consuming to their neighborhoods. Yeah. Part of what I love about it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it's been wonderful chatting with you again. Thank you so much, Miranda and Bates, for taking the time out of your evening to have a chat with me on the hottest evening. Hottest day. I'm, I'm yeah. just, I'm sitting here because I've had the window closed because I didn't want any sound to bleed through. 
and I'm just I'm boiling in here. Oh but, no! But to we'll be honest, though, beers. we'll send you some beers. To be honest, birthday I'm enjoying beers. this one anyway. So. <laughs> oh well, look, happy birthday! Well done on reaching two. Thanks for having us back on, and thanks for what you do for for making beer an enjoyable place. No worries, and and thank you for producing all the wonderful, amazing beers that you do. Nice one. Right. Cheers, then. All right, then. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. So good to catch up with Miranda and Bates and I can't wait to see the finished new tap room as well as the fruition of all of their other plans. They're an incredible brewery and make some of the UK's finest beers and I wish them all the success in the world. Well done again to Tim Thomas who was the winner of their prize draw of a six pack of beer and a tour of the Duration Brewery site along with a tasting. Sounds fantastic. Okay, Andy Parker will be with me soon, but first let's delve back into the questions and answers. We just heard from Ruth from Elusive and her answer to Pilot's question. Let's join it with Aaron Fellows of Polly's Brew Co being set a question by Ruth. My question is, if you could do one thing to improve the beer industry, what would it be? Wow, that's a great question. That is a really, really great question. Make it more inclusive for women. That's that's exactly what I do. Uh, beer is is coming to a to a crossroads at the minute where it needs to where it needs to realise that if it doesn't become more progressive, it's just going to collapse into an old boys club, which is which is the absolute worst thing it can do. I, I know that the the topic of sexual harassment in, in beer has been an extremely hot topic at the minute. And I think anybody who is invested in beer and interested in beer should take a look at the the Instagram accounts that are that are sharing these stories, take note of it and eliminate this toxic behavior within within the beer industry because we want beer to be inclusive for everybody and that's that's not just women you know that's that's people of color trans gay bi you know it should be it should be inclusive for all and unfortunately at the moment there's an underlying sort of belly of the of the craft beer industry that isn't inclusive for all these people and it's so so sad to see so yeah that's my answer if uh if there's anything that could be improved, it should be the inclusive inclusivity of beer. Aaron enlisted the help of his partner, Amber, who is also in the beer industry, and their question was another fantastic one. And the responsibility to provide an answer fell to Overtone's Karen Nagpal. Uh, when was the last time you did something out of the ordinary in the craft beer industry? That's a very good question. Good, kudos to Amber, and I'm looking forward to catching... Having a drink with her and Aaron at some point in Wales. Um, Holy shit, that is a a superb question. Overtone's taken a significant step into trying to be more sustainable. Uh, So I think that's one of the things we're trying to do in terms of recycling boxes, in terms of not using as much cardboard, in terms of not wasting water, in terms of not wasting power and energy. Uh, we've made a very conscious effort over the last six months to be more aware of what we're doing. And I think it's very easy, again, to take these things for granted. It's very easy to to just go like, ah, you know what, someone else will deal with it. And you just bin everything. 
so we've we've looked for as many avenues as we can to try and get more sustainable. Uh, we're not doubting that we're going to be carbon negative because that's absolute bollocks. Um, and I know exactly what I'm targeting when I say bullshit like that. <laughs> but um, we, 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 we are trying to be more, um, but, but actually less wasteful. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that we're going to be the most sustainable brewery around because of the scale at which we, we produce stuff and the way that we can uh, source our ingredients are going to only be the way that they are. So our carbon footprint is going to be what it is, but we're going to ensure that we waste as little as possible. Uh, and I think that's one of the changes that we're trying to make. We've always had a diverse team. Um, I think I'm I'm a good example of that. I'm, I'm, I'm an Indian citizen that's been here for five years uh, and I've been given an opportunity to work for a band like this. Uh, so I don't think diversity is ever going to be an issue. And I don't think having that that, that ratio of male to female is ever going to be an issue with, with Overton. Uh, everyone gets paid the same amount and like there's there's no disparities there. Uh, I think we're quite progressive when it comes to uh, when it comes to pays and, and such. But uh, yes, I think sustainability is probably the the one major change we're trying to make and will continue to make over the next year or so. Then it was Karen's turn to set a question and he went for something a bit lighter. What would you be as a beer style? So you as a personality, describe yourself as a beer. Which was answered by Beck from Electric Bear. Oh, oh dear. Yeah, that is an interesting question, isn't it? Well, I'm going to go with the fact that, you know, like most dogs look like their owners. I'm going to go with the fact, the, the fact that I look like my favourite beer style. I think it's going to be, I think it's sour. It's fruity, <laughs> fruitcake. You know, you can be different AVVs, a little bit sour. It's got a bit of a character to it. I think I think that's a good, a good answer. Beck had a very simple question in mind. What's your favourite cheese? This question was put to several people to answer as the next episode was my first birthday special. So, what are the favourite cheeses of Gus from Pilgrim? It's a local one to us. But keep the local theme going. It's called Norby Blue. And it's um, okay. just a, the pongiest blue cheese that I, we can find. <laughs> and I love it because it's almost... It's, it's amazing. We did a collaboration with him, actually. It's amazing with, us, with our stout. Um, so that would probably be my favourite cheese because it really plays off with... It has to be in the winter. Yeah. It has to, has to be a cold November night, probably. Sat there in the tap room, maybe a fire on or something. Yeah. And have a wedge of this cheese and a, on a cracker and a stout. Okay. And now I'm sat there, I'm happy. Then Morgan from Crumbs had his turn on cheese. I think it's called, I never know how to pronounce it, I'm probably going to show it. It's a, is it a Chacorse or there, there's, a, there's a, I think it's a French cheese that uh, I know you can, you can buy in our local Morrisons. In, uh, the, but it's, it's nice because I, I quite like a brie, those kind of things. But this one, it's, it starts out when it's in the fridge like a brie. But then when you leave it out at room temperature, it starts to kind of melt and go really kind of gloopy and, oh, right. and sort of sticky kind of thing. It's, and it, I, I just love it because you can almost, it's kind of like two cheeses in one. At the start, start of the evening, it's, it's nice and firm and, and, and then yeah. it gets sticky and gooey and even more flavoursome kind of thing. So, I, yeah, I think it's okay. of course. Next up was Ben from 360 Degree Brewing. Oh, I am a big, big fan of cheese. Um, like, if it's melting, it's even better. So, I mean, to me, I'm a sucker for a camembert. Uh, although a bit of a curveball, how about Oaxacan cheese? 
So, uh, excuse me. <laughs> what? Cheese Oaxaca. From, cheese from Oaxaca. Yeah. So okay, Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was lucky before COVID was really a thing to spend a couple of weeks in Mexico back in November, and most of that time was spent in the Oaxaca state, which is where most of like the indigenous culture that you see in the modern age of Mexico stems from. Uh, one massive part of that being the cuisine and just. I just love the fact you'd go around all these food stalls and just seeing cheese being stretched like seven, eight foot and then you're being strung onto your plate alongside all the other like pastor meats and all the rest of it. So yeah, yeah. Um, big, big fan of that. But yeah, slightly closer to, to us in the UK. I, yeah, definitely a Camembert fan for sure. And finally, James from Hopstop. Yeah, so, so Ruth and I absolutely, despite, we, we love our food, we love our drink. Uh, but the one thing that we don't like is goat's cheese. So it's certainly okay. not going to be goat's not cheese. Not goat's yeah. cheese, right? Okay. Awful stuff. <laughs> Too strong in it. Oh, it just yeah. tastes like... We're getting some dissenting voices in yeah. the rest of the bar here. Yeah, we've got a little eight-month-year-old <laughs> with reflux, and sometimes it smells like that. And it's <laughs> so it might not be the cheese itself, it might be the association. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's long before that, but yeah, before, right, it's, uh, yeah, so not goat's cheese. Not goat's uh, cheese, okay. Partial to a baby bell every so often. Um, <laughs> a lovely waxy finish to it, yeah. But uh, no, so I'm, I'm strong cheddar, that real vintage cheddar, okay. which isn't everyone's cup of tea. It may be a little bit crunch so, in there. We had a, a brewery open day down at Dartstar, and uh, my boss at the time, James, introduced me to a, a cheddar called Black Bomber. Oh, uh, it comes in I like a... Black yeah, bomb, black like case, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cut into that superb, really, really good cheddar. Um, so yeah, nice strong vintage cheddar. Well, I'm feeling very hungry after all those answers. One question came out of that recording for the next guest, and it was James's honour, and it stayed on the subject of food. Yeah, so so snacks is one thing we are trying to innovate on. We've got a kitchen, but we don't want to go full blown food. Um, so yeah, I, the question to the next guest would be, in terms of a, a, the, the best snack you can imagine to have with beer, uh, what would that be? Beer writer Matt Curtis was the next guest talking about his book Modern British Beer. The best snack to have with beer? Well, it, the answer yeah. is scampi fries or a pickled egg. But okay. I, I have a um, a more uh, serious answer. Um, so. Uh, a few weeks ago, I went to Clitheroe uh, in Lancashire, about an hour north of Manchester, to my friend Katie and Tom's bar, Corto. And they're, they're, they're quite inspired by sort of uh, Spanish bars where snacking is is the norm. And each bar will do its own snacks that is served with, with the beers. And a Corto is the smallest measure of beer you can get. Um, and uh, I'm going to do two options. I think it's really important to have a veggie or vegan option. Uh, that that's crucial, but they did um, a, a panna con tomato. So it's like just sourdough bread with like uh, like a warm tomato spread with olive oil and salt. Um, and then you can get it with an anchovy. Uh, and I love anchovies. So like the, the sort of acidity of the tomatoes and the bread. So the bread soaks up the alcohol. The tomatoes have that nice sweetness and acidity, bit of olive oil. And then the anchovy gives you that saltiness so easy to make like um you probably have to do a little bit of prep in making the tomato sauce but then it's ready to heat up and spread on the the nice warm bread and then you just drop a nice anchovy 
and and tin fish is really really trendy right now high-end tin fish uh apparently i'm told and uh so it's a high-end anchovy and it's just so i i was sat there several beers deep eating that as like a rather than like having a meal like i need a snack uh, and they have a snack menu i'll, I'll order this panic on tomato and that's like that is great and the saltiness just made me want to to, to drink more to wash it down but every mouthful was delicious so um you know that's yeah that's what uh i'd like to see in terms of like simple simple snacks but the ones that make me want to want to drink oh no i'm even more hungry now let's hope that matt's question wasn't food related my question for the next guest is in my book modern british beer you'll have to hopefully have read it um I come up with a five-point definition uh, of what I'm thinking of this on the spot, but like, I, so I come up with a five-point definition. What would be your sixth point if you wanted to expand the definition? What would be your extra point to define modern British beer? Phew! Thanks, Matt. I knew I could rely on you. So the next person who had read Matt's book was Sophie Durand from Burnt Mill who put forward an excellent answer which addressed an extremely relevant point, which actually sparked a near 10-minute conversation on the value of craft beer and sustainability. You'll have to listen to the whole episode for the full version, but here's the crux of Sophie's answer. Yeah, thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a bit of a tricky one, because I think he's defined modern British beer actually very well. I think something that maybe not quite a definition but I think it's maybe a point that should be acknowledged is that I think modern British beer is very fairly priced right okay it's not cheap to produce no you know you, you the competition out there is fierce with the big producers uh the big uh, macro breweries um they can produce a lot of beer for quite cheaply in terms of its ingredients but where we as craft brewers have the advantage is that we are more dynamic we are more flexible and we put more into our beer in terms of flavor diversity Mm. and because of that we then are naturally our beer is more expensive to make and so it's then more expensive to sell. And so it's then more expensive to buy. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, I live out in, in the sticks in Suffolk um, where, you know, beer is not the cheapest thing, but people can quite easily buy a pint for three pounds, three pound 50 of cask, cask bitter. Right. You know, it's, it's not like some areas where they're still selling for two fifty a pint, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know how those breweries are managing to exist. Because no. even when you're just doing a standard brown cask bitter with some English hops, which are much, much cheaper than the hops that we use, and selling them for £40, £50 a cask, I don't know how they're surviving. I really, really don't. Um, actually no I do I do know how they're surviving is because they're not paying their staff enough and I'm not paying their staff what they should be paid right yeah whereas modern craft beer seems to have got a following that have acknowledged the fact that they're going to be 
paying that little bit more for the beer and I think people are starting to particularly actually more so on the younger generation um of drinkers and uh, uh, acknowledging that they have to pay for their full flavored good quality beers I totally agree with Sophie good quality craft beer quite often costs a fair whack But it's not the breweries taking the piss, it's the ingredients, the time and effort put in, along with the breweries paying their staff fairly. As I said, that's just a snippet of where the answer led, so have a listen to that episode if you haven't already. Okay, Sophie's question was very similar to Stu McKinley's question, but it was 16 episodes prior, so a good eight months. Okay, so whoever it may be, if you weren't in the brewing industry... What do you think you'd be doing with your life? And I say that because brewing industry is all consuming and pretty much everyone who works in beer is beer, drinks beer, lives beer. Uh, Yeah. So, so what do you think you'd be doing with your life um, and as a career if you weren't in the brewing industry? That question went to New Bristol Brewery's husband and wife team of Noel and Maria James. Oh, <laughs> what well, together well, or no, individually? Just individually. What would you be doing? Oh my god, I'd be. I would train to be an architect. So I'd be an interior designer. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Together? We can work together. No again. way. <laughs> Well, clearly they enjoy working together in the brewery, as their potential new roles could easily work together. As they have a monkey as a mascot for their brewery, Maria's question was a very interesting one. So I'd quite like to ask them if they had to have an animal mascot for their brewery to represent who they are, what animal would it be? For the next episode, I went to North London to Aura Brewing's taproom and sat down with them for a chat. Here's Dario, Daniele and Luigi answering Maria's question. Maybe, Maybe a cat. A cat, yeah, maybe. Right, okay. Because yeah, we have, we have, we a, have a cat, like our neighbor cat, that is always here with us. And whenever we're brewing, he's just like going around. Right, so it's not even your own cat, it's just a cat that kind of yeah. wanders in. <laughs> <It's going on laughs> exactly. Yeah. When you smell the beer, it just comes yeah. uh, and uh, say hello, and then we give a few treats uh, and then ah. just leave. I just, uh, Did you yeah. give him any beer? Uh, we tried, uh, but apparently I think he's too young for that. Uh, we just need to wait. Uh, yeah, he's not 18 yet. No, yeah. <laughs> so, Dario, the head brewer, posed this head scratcher for Jordan Mower from Unbarred. Uh, what's the weirdest ingredients that you would put in a beer? From inspiration of breweries I have seen done, uh, dogfish head uh did a beer i think it was called a chicha beer where they got all the members of staff to chew on corn and this is from the indigenous americans used corn they would chew on it and saliva has an enzyme in it which breaks down starches and when we're mashing in so we're adding grains to water the enzymes in those mash in those uh grains break down those starches into sugars and you start with long chain sugars and go to simple chain sugars which are much easier to ferment so dogfish head who are one of the biggest inspirations for me and 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 probably the reason i got into brewing um they went around all their staff 
and they got them to chew on corn for ages and then spit <laughs> into a cup. <laughs> Uh, into a bucket this, this bucket was going around this office with everyone spitting in it uh, but they made a beer with it so okay. they broke down the sugars from enzymes in people's mouths uh, and made a beer of it and that just blew my mind because it, it you know it is sterile we we boil that then we we boil that and you can add things to it uh, yeah it one-off beer they had to brew it again actually people really wanted and apparently it tastes wow. beautiful I've never tried that. So, okay, um, so I've also seen brewers that have uh, used, um, uh, got a sample from their beard, put it in an agar dish, and then grown up the culture from that to grow a culture or a colony of microbes or, or yeast. Uh, <laughs> and that. So if we're on the path of the weirdest we would go, I would probably culture something up from a human body. Well, that was a weird ingredient. Haven't seen anything like that come out of Unbarred yet, but you never know. Jordan asked this question. What do you see the future of IPA being? Okay. Maybe we'll say in the next two years, how do you see the IPA evolving? This was put to Rich from Werewolf Brewing. I really hope it, like, having having West Coast, air quotes, by the way, um, <laughs> West Coast IPA coming up as a style again. Um, it makes me happy because I can walk into a bar and know that that's a thing I'm going to want to drink um, because it's so, uh, for me as a drinker, um, it's just uh, the, I don't generally care for the hazy things and I don't need a triple IPA and I want an IPA to be bitter. Um, so I hope, 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 hope um, it's going in that direction. Um, or I would like to see, um, uh, you know, because because Keg and Cask are going to do different things generally. Um, in the other direction, in Casks, I'd like to see English IPAs coming through. I mean, uh, I go to real ale pubs, and there the just isn't one ever, hmm. um, and that makes me it makes me sad. Like I do, I mean, I go nuts for a really, really good best bitter, um, but I would just like a really solid cask IPA that is a go-to that you see often enough. Um, and I don't know who who would do that. Um, so this isn't necessarily a prediction; it's more a a wish list, right? Because I do, I do not know, I do not know what to expect. Um, you know, what what are people talking about now? Cold IPAs. Or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, and brute brute IPA was an abomination. Yeah, absolutely, Sorry. I agree. With, I agree with you. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why that happened. Um, I you know, uh, every every beer and every brewer on their own merits. So I can't say without a doubt this this style I don't care for. But um, the the hazy stuff is just uh, when I when I order it at a bar and everybody's standing there with a pint of stuff that you can't see through and like uh, artificial light turns it opaque. Um, it's really tough to look at stuff and go, which one of those would I want? And they could be seven different beers. I mean, yeah. visually it makes it really tough. Yeah. So I, I hope, I hope, you know, you know what the, the thing with that would be, I hope some visual changes maybe in IPA. But the other thing is I still, oh God, it's not so much styles, but I think 
vocabulary around um, beer and IPA, IPAs in particular somehow becoming a bit more standardized. Mm. Um, so we kind of know what we're getting. I mean, I guess, I guess West Coast IPA coming forward as a, as a term that seems to tell us exactly what we're getting. Um, and I think everybody agrees what that is. Um, yeah. I, like, I like that. I'm a fan of that. Okay. <laughs> if, if we're going to have a trend, I'd like a well-defined trend that I can tell what the hell it is. Yep. I'm with you on West Coasts, Rich. So tasked with setting the next question, Rich decided on this. If there was one technological improvement that you could institute across the board for all UK brewers. So if you could wave a wand and end up with one technological um, improvement for all brewers, um, what would it be? What do you think would be the most helpful? This was answered by Adam Robertson from Verdon, who didn't hesitate. Oh, it's easy. CO2 capture has right. to be, you know, it's criminal the amount of CO2 that fermentation is, is given off and we're not capturing it. It's going back into the environment. Regeneration of it, reuse. Yeah, I think that, that is my magic wand right there. So Adam's question was driven by the fact that they were in the process of opening a new tap room at their brewery site. If you were to open the tap room of your dreams tomorrow, what would be its USP? Brilliant. From the beer, actually. <laughs> this was answered by Les and Julie at Neptune, as well as the episode's co-host, Melissa Cole. Without <laughs> sounding really, really cheesy, I think we've already got it. Because our tap room is inclusive, it's community-focused, the music's also very good. That's down to me. <laughs> uh, we, we, get, we get wonderful food traders in. Yes. And the people who come in now, our regulars come and they come because they feel comfortable. Not necessarily, and they don't just come for the beer now. They come because it's a place they want to come to. Yeah, the so social side. I actually believe that we've already got it. And that sounds quite sort of I'm blowing my own trumpet a bit, but I think I no. do believe that. Yeah, I, I, I would agree as such. It'd be nice maybe to have a tad more space. Oh, We're not massive. Yeah. The, you know, we can sit comfortably 55 people and probably about 15 standing. You know, so That's it's true. not little in that aspect. It's, you know, it's classed more as a, a bar. People come in and go, oh, this is, looks like a bar. Yeah. And so, you know, what we call the yeah. tap room because it's connected to, to the brewery. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah a, a mezzanine, I think I was going to have. A mezzanine? Yeah. That's like, fancy. I know that, isn't it? Yeah. I, can, I can nearly touch the ceiling in your If money's no object and we're somewhere, I would like a mezzanine to be, mm. be nice, just to add a little bit of a, a dimension. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to chime in for these two because um, I'm actually going to speak for the other half who, who's because who's, who's, uh, <laughs> uh, Everton is building a new stadium and uh, down by the docks and when they sent out a um, when they sent out a questionnaire I think it was something like the top three or five responses was because one of the options was would you like a brewery in there? 
And one of the top three or five responses was, yes, we bloody love a brewery in there, a la kind of beaver town at Tottenham. And obviously, when it, when it came down to it, because my hubby's got kind of posh tickets and a loungy kind of thing, and it's like, I'll have, I'll have, I'll have a word with the uh, powers that be. We reckon Neptune should be in there. My bid is for Neptune to be uh, at Everton's new stadium. Neptune Brewery Taproom, coming to a Merseyside stadium near you soon. So, Les then asked the question for the next guest, and this is what it was. Which musical artist would you like to collaborate on a beer with? The next episode was the 2021 Christmas special, and the guests to answer the question were Miranda and Bates from Duration. Can they be, do they have to be alive? <laughs> uh, it's it's one of those fantasy questions, so it's entirely up to you. I guess it makes sense to do Sturgill Simpson. Sturgill's all the way down. Mm. Well, yeah, let's put that out there. I, yeah. initi- I initially thought Amy Winehouse, and then I thought, actually, that might be a bit too much work, depending on what, what <laughs> we got her in. And then I actually thought all of the Beatles... Like if you could do a, a series and do it. Oh, one by one, not at the mm. same time, but one by one. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And see what a came series, out. A series of beers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. Excellent. <laughs> so to give some context there, Sturgill Simpson is a country singer who had a song called Turtles All the Way Down, also the name of Duration's most famous beer. As it was Christmas, I let Duration ask two questions, one from Miranda and one from Bates. Here they both are. Answered by Charlotte Cole from Coalition. If you could add one thing to beer and if you could take one thing away from beer, what would, what would they be? So if I take the, away from the beer industry, I would take away shit bosses is what I would take away. And I'd take away people who set up a brewery to make some money and then exploit people to develop their brewery and make their beer and look after their beer, they can all get in the bin. And if I, oh, and also I take away lactose. Um, Okay. (laughs) If I could add one thing to beer, I would add unionization. So I'm sorry, that's a terribly political. If you had the choice, looking back, would you stick with beer or go somewhere else? You know what? I've talked about this quite a lot in that I felt that kind of with my career, I felt that I was really focused on work for a very long time. And I sort of missed out on a lot of things in my early 20s, like traveling with my friends and things like that. But the way that it's kind of turned out now is that I actually get to travel for my job and I get to go to exciting places and stay in slightly nicer hotels than maybe I would have when I was 22 and I'm probably making more of a difference with what I can do at the minute than maybe I would have been in any other industry like I'd have been a loudmouth rabble rouser whatever I did that's (laughs) gonna be my cross there for the rest of my life Um, but I think that actually everything's worked out quite well I think, yeah, I'd missed out on that and I wish I could have done it. But also, 
you know, I'm going to North Carolina for a conference next month and I'll get yeah. funding to go and do it. And yeah, no, nothing wrong with that. Is there? Work and the work that I've put in, and that's a really positive thing. Mm. So, yeah, let's, I would probably stick with what I've done. Um, you know, even for the misery that I've been through with a lot of things, I'm not sure that I would change what I did because it's given me the impetus to be proactive in improving things. And I yeah. think that's important. Absolutely. If you just kind of coasted, then yeah. And also if I continue to be a lawyer, I'd probably be doing something completely different anyway. I'd probably have moved to the Isle of Butte and <laughs> the log cabin and just like made my life smoking oysters or something. Two great answers from Charlotte. So we'll pause that there. And we'll come back to it and round it off after my chat with Andy Parker from Elusive Brewing. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, no, thanks for coming on. When I had Elusive on the podcast all the way back in May last year, I had the pleasure of chatting with Ruth. And that was a really good chat. Really enjoyed that. But it's great to have you on as well. What I'm going to do, I'm going to crack open an Oregon Trail. Mm. Excellent. I have to say that I am so pleased that you guys decided to make this a regular brew because it's just a tour de force for me. I just absolutely love it. I love a West Coast IPA anyway, but this is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful beer. So glad that it's around more often than perhaps it originally was intended. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it did start off as a, a original as a one-off and then we brought it back during lockdown um, and started canning and um Shortly after you had Ruth on, actually, it won gold at the World Beer Awards, like the country winner in the American IPA style, and that, that kind of lit fire under it. Now we can't brew enough of it, which is a lovely problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. What have you been up to since May last year, as I said, I chatted with Ruth? So what's uh, the brewery been up to since then? Ruth joined us officially not long before you, you talk, spoke to her, and that was, I think it was her first podcast you did, kind of with her elusive hat on. Yeah. Um, and she's been doing a brilliant job, has the rest of the team have now grown to four permanent full-time staff, which is fantastic, considering we went into lockdown just as me and Ricky had just joined us as a brewer and we furloughed him. And since you spoke to Ruth, things have been going, we've been flat out busy. It's been great getting out and about doing events again. We've added a good chunk more capacity since then and also been supplementing that by brewing some cooker brewing at Double Barrel and more recently Siren. Oregon Trail, you mentioned, it's become very much a flagship and it's something that we're we're getting behind it is by far the leader in our sales, helping to drive our growth. And I think overall, we've matured a lot as a business in the past year and a bit. And it feels like we've got, we've implemented a proper brew management software. We've got, you know, it feels like we're maturing and we're becoming more operationally resilient and mature uh, overall. And, and that's a lot of that's down to Ruth's kind of organisational skills, I must say. Excellent. Excellent. And when I saw you last, I think it was at the, British Guild of Beer Writers Awards, you did allude to the fact that you might be looking for a new site. How's that coming along? Yeah, we and we put a blog up about that at the turn of the year, soon after the, the Beer Writers Dinner. Yeah, we went into this year and at the start of the year, the first quarter, looking at premises and looking at uh, with a big dream of, of moving to somewhere much bigger. But things, uh, you know, the, the economy's struggling a bit at the moment and people perhaps haven't got as much spare money and we're kind of we looked at our cost spiraling and we decided just to 
let's just you know drop anchor a little bit put the brakes on the plans but not we're still investing we're still growing but we're, we're basically maximizing the site where we are now and we're making investments in infrastructure and kit that we can effectively take with us when we move but i think the we are still looking at expanding perhaps as much as double our current site if we can make that work where we are with maybe additional premises and so on in the same estate or in the same area then perfect if not then we might look back at what we're looking at at the start of this year at the start of next year instead once we know a little bit more about where we are where the economy is yeah yeah i mean you'd miss siren wouldn't you i guess if you moved far away you two seem uh, to be yeah, you yeah, seem we do. quite quite buddies <laughs> do a lot of things together but they you know, help you out a lot don't they i mean I, I saw about a brew that they helped you do recently yeah because um we planned some tank upgrades basically in order to add more capacity in our current unit, we, we've been consolidating uh, into double-sized tanks to use the height. It's quite a tall unit. And we, we had some kind of short, stocky tanks that we were looking just to, to replace and upgrade. So because of that and the way we had to plan that in, effectively sell four tanks to replace them with two big ones, it meant a bit of a dip in production and a, and a dip in beer availability just about from now onwards through to the middle of August um, as we kind of had to empty all of our tanks at once, move things around and then bring the new tanks in and so on mm. and um yeah I kind of half said jokingly to Darren we're cookie brewing at Dolphin we still are planning to do more there but they've been blessed and been doing so well they just flat out there and that's lovely to see yeah so we can't quite fit you in for another you know a little while Darren popped over as he does very often from Siren for a, a chat about all sorts and I kind of said to Darren jokingly you know any chance you can fit a brewing for us because they're <laughs> flat out as well and, and mega busy and and he sort of laughed and, and then he saw that I wasn't joking and um, <laughs> and said, leave it with me, Andy, and I'll see what I can do. And to be fair, the team, Sean, the head brewer and Steve, the production manager, kind of came through and found a slot for us and we brewed a, a West Coast Pale there. And yeah, absolutely, we would if we did move entirely, I'd be pretty sad about no longer being their neighbour. Uh, we're not planning on moving far. If we move, yeah. it'll be central Wokingham, a couple of miles up the road. But we are close and they do support us a lot. And I've got a very long, or they've got a very long IOU list. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> we definitely owe them, uh, yeah, lots of favours. <laughs> yeah, they'll come calling for them soon. You, you watch. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> but no, that's amazing. That's brilliant that they help you out. But then, you know, you help out a lot of breweries as well. Given your homebrew background, you've been running this competition for the last couple of birthdays that you've celebrated. You've been running a a homebrewing competition where you give a, a thousand pounds prize then the opportunity to brew a beer in your brewery but totally branded with the winner's branding and also you lend them your mentoring you know if they want to start up as pro now i think the first time you did that was last year and the winner was sam who then started middle child with fraser as I understand, Fraser usually wins the competitions, but it was, <laughs> it was Sam that won on that occasion. And I chatted with them a couple of episodes ago, actually, and they were going on about the help that you've given them. Um, and that's amazing. Let's go back to that judging, because we'll come on to this year's one. But last year, you had to judge 120 Belgian wits <laughs> in one day. Yeah, it was tough. That was very, very tough. And we learned about that for this year's competition. Yeah. <laughs> Or more, moreover, just reflected upon how hard that was. I picked Belgian wit because it's very difficult to brew well. And there's a lot, a lot of different herbs and spices you can use. It's all about being delicate and being very sure of your brewing process 
There's not many places you can hide. You can't chuck more hops in. You can't throw bitterness at it. It's a very soft and delicate style, all about the nuance and how the spices marry together. And I kind of picked that thinking, well, if, if we're going to find a really, really, really good home brewer, uh, that's a good style to pick because if, if they can brew that well, they can brew anything well. Yeah. Four of us were judging the competition and what we did was split in half, went through the beers one at a time to weed out ones that we felt weren't quite where we wanted them to be and stylistically or in terms of having that balance. And then we went through a second and third round of the final and eventually we picked Sam uh, Jones as the winner and uh, we rang him and uh, he was over the moon and told us a story about how uh, they're about to start Middle Child Brewing. Fraser, Fraser came fourth. Turns out they actually co-brewed both beers, but they kind of could only enter. We had a rule of one per person, so fair enough. Entered one each, and I think we found a really worthy winner last year, for sure. Yeah, I had a few of their beers when we were chatting, and they are coming out with some awesome beers. A wee Heavy that we had as well, that Emma Inch had been telling me about, she was waxing lyrical about the We Heavy, and um, we finished the podcast with that one. And it was a really, really lovely beer, as well as their West Coasts as well that they're doing. So they're doing some good work. And you're still in touch with them, you know, giving your mentoring? Yeah, we well, said occasionally get the email from Sam or a message from Fraser, and we've advised on all sorts of things from career contracts through to labeling, through to all sorts, really. And that offer's always there to kind of help them. They're still brewing in Fraser's shed pretty much. And but they yeah. can scale things up. Uh, I think they got a, got some bigger tanks recently, and they're slowly kind of growing and looking to the future and, and having their own premises and so on. But yeah, the beers have been exceptional. I mean, Fraser's a very good brewer, and as you mentioned earlier, normally wins these competitions. Yeah, <laughs> and I've known Fraser a while, and, and he's yeah, has always brewed, brewed exceptional beer. Um, that we have you mentioned, he's been doing for a little while, and he's got this little sort of oak barrel that he re refreshes with bourbon to get that kind of spirit in there, and then. Uh, yeah, ages the beer for a few months, and it's, it really is an exceptionally good beer. Mm. So yeah, definitely find that one if you've not tried it. I think it's called it. He ain't heavy. He's my brother, or something like that. Um, That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. great beer. It, it is. It is a cracking beer. I don't think they're brewing it at the moment, but from when I had the chat with them, they didn't rule out bringing it back. So that's good news. So let's get on to this year then. So you had your sixth birthday competition, and as you said, you learned from tasting 120 different or 120 very similar Belgian wits last year and you went anything west coast this year yeah so we obviously brew a lot of west coast styles and, and those are the beers that inspired me to start home brewing and I thought that would give brewers a bit more flexibility uh, in terms of what they wanted to brew so anything vaguely west coast inspired we had west coast pales IPAs dippers uh, we had black IPAs double black IPAs red ales brown ales you know anything that's kind of that kind of hop forward, Yakima hop kind of nice, bright, bitter style beer, basically. Yeah. And the winner was a 7.2% rye IPA. Yes. June Chung uh, was the winner. And he's another one who uh, does very, very well at homebrew competitions. Brews with the Beer Balls Club in London. Oh. And uh, I've never met him, but don't know him. And uh, when the name was mentioned, basically everyone was blind tasted. And when his name came up, well, I've I recognised the name. He's obviously won a few things to get on him, but the beer just stood out. We, to be honest, the standard this year we felt was a bit lower overall, um, okay. and we were wondering if we maybe didn't give people enough time. Or, uh, but there was a lot of diacetyl, a lot of off flavours that we kind of weeded out 
in that same approach of opening them all and, and trying them all at first time and then going into a second round. But the second round was smaller this year, which gave us more time to really concentrate on those beers and, and find a really worthy winner. But that beer, um, I was paired in a judging with Rob Neal, who's the owner of the Mort Miller, along with, with Joanna's wife. And um, I remember opening it and putting it in my glass and sniffing it and just throwing my hands in the air going, hallelujah, because we wanted, I was looking all day for that big, piney, resinous nose. Yeah, I want in my West Coast beers, and that just popped. Very, very good beer. Excellent. Okay. Have you arranged the brew day with June yet? Not yet. No, actually, it's my to do list to follow up with him. So, if you're listening, June, I'm sorry. I will get to that soon. <laughs> I didn't want to, sh- I didn't want to um, shame you. Sorry. <laughs> actually, um, so June is, has been very similar station, maybe where Middle Child were at that point. Hopefully, he wants to do something and go commercial with it. And hopefully you can kind of follow in the footsteps of Sam and Fraser and, and do something similar. No pressure from us to do that. I mean, the competition's about finding a very good home brewer and giving them the support they need um, yeah. to improve or to, uh, to get a beer out commercially. If that comes off, then perfect. But if not, you know, we'll make you very welcome and, and we'll put out a very good beer. Last year's competition, we said we may not brew the winning beer, you know, Belgian wit, blah, blah, blah. This year, yeah. hell, I'm brewing that beer. <laughs> so take that recipe. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've changed the rules. Yeah, exactly. Uh, say that, June, sorry, if you didn't read the terms and conditions, it's definitely got to be that beer. Well, I mean, if it was so fantastic, then, I, I mean, I, I want some, for sure. Yeah, it's a lovely, just a rye IPA, that rye just sat there. We use a little bit of rye in Oregon Trail, actually, to help push that Columbus Chinook spicy dankness forward. And this beer kind of employed that same approach and was a beautiful kind of coppery colour, which I love in a West Coast. Well, man, I can't wait to drink some more of that. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to try it. You were saying about you give him the support regardless of whether he decides to go commercial or not. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Not everybody who enters homebrew competitions has a desire to actually take it anything beyond a hobby. Of course, if they're winning competitions like this, they're very good at their hobby but still sometimes people are happy just to stay at that level yeah indeed and I think one thing that I've seen with homebrewing over the years since I've been doing it is that these days you know there's a lot of very very good homebrewers and the same names that pop up in these competitions where they just they want to brew the very best beer they can and they're brewing beer that is as good as anything commercially out there right now in their garages wherever with commercial quality kit Often, you know, these conical stainless vessels that I used to have a plastic bucket, but, um, you know, they, they're really serious about brewing very, very good beer. And that, you know, I'm, I'm all over that as well. That's, um, that those guys, in my experience, are always the most passionate and the most supportive of us as well. Uh, yeah. Not just us at Elusive, but in general of the industry. So um, mm. I think it's great to kind of, you know, complete that circle. And that's why that competition means a lot to me and, and a lot to, to Elusive. Yeah. So let's take it six years back then, when you were just starting up yourself. Who was it that was your inspiration? And, and when you got into going pro, who was it that was helping you out? Uh, Weird Beard. Definitely had a lot of help from Greg and Brian when we started up. They brewed our first commercial beer and branded it with elusive branding. And that recipe was our Lord Nelson and Nelson Saison that was, that was born out of a homebrew that I did that Greg really liked. Brian's not a fan of Belgian beer, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they really helped me put elusive on the map and also siren um, which is again that relationship's been there for years and i entered a homebrew competition that siren ran and i came second and uh, that's annoying because of the prize was <laughs> to brew with omni follow uh, damn you mike you won that but um uh, ryan really really liked my beer and he heard about us potentially going commercial 
uh, as well and offered to, you know, invite me down to brew with him and, and we brewed a beer called Dinner for One. And that went out as a series of, of Dinner for Two, Three, Four car scales, uh, kind of the year we before we got started and that helped get our name out as well. So yeah, those, those two breweries definitely have, have helped us a lot and inspired me. Excellent. Weird bit obviously has changed hands effectively in his moves but um still in touch with brian and, and um anything we can do to pay that forward or help them at all obviously yeah any yeah, i'm all ears and uh yeah we've always tried it you know part of that homebrew competition is about kind of paying all that help i had forward and trying to help someone else because obviously yeah. and weird but it's limited in terms of how i can help them in real terms but maybe i can help show the shame attitude they show to me to others yeah, well, you definitely are with um, with this competition. And I, I guess you plan to do that now, sort of every birthday going forward? I, I don't know. Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> I think um, I'll chat to, to Reiki and Rob um, and probably do it again next year, I guess. It's a really fun day. It's a pretty full-on day. We always pick a really, really hot day. Um, <laughs> sat in the mezzanine at the Malt Miller and just sweating away, judging these beers, and it feels quite intense and full-on. But, uh, you know... I, I'm sure we'll do it again next year and um, yeah. it's a lot of fun and very rewarding. Excellent. My favourite bit is ring when we ring the winner. Yeah, I saw the video of you ringing June, actually. Yeah, and actually uh, June, I saw him reply on our Instagram later that he, he wasn't with it at the time. I wasn't sure what he was saying <laughs> and was a bit flustered, but um, no, good on him. It, it's a nice moment to yeah. tell someone they've won that competition. Yeah, no, very much so. Oh, well, we'll look forward to seeing June come down to Elusive and brew that beer again and taste it because, you know, you're, you're talking it up so much that <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in, in, uh, no in getting that. No, exactly. No pressure. But I'm, I'm sure it's going to be excellent. So in addition to the competition, you brewed a couple of beers for your sixth birthday, a Jewel of Iron, yeah. like a, 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 a duet of beers. Now, I've got both of them. I haven't actually had them yet. I haven't got around to having them yet, but I will do very, very soon. Tell me about the, the two different beers and, and what I can expect from them. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I wasn't sure what to do this year with the sixth birthday. Last year we did five collabs and released five different beers, and it was a real challenge just logistically to get those in, and we ended up not being able to release them together because we couldn't sit on the first two until the next we were ready kind of thing, and it was, it was quite challenging. So we already decided last year we weren't going to do six collabs this year and just kind of keep that thing going. But our first holiday after lockdown was to go back to the west coast with me and Jay, my wife and we went to um, san diego which is a place we both love lots and not just because the beer is great but that is a big part of it, it helps um, <laughs> and i was kind of over there uh pondering what we might do and we kind of looked in the schedule we, we, we put the two brews in and um i really wanted to go big on the west coast thing with it off the back of how well i was doing for us and we got some lovely simcoe cryo and simcoe leaf and decided to just go big on those. So we brewed a, a, a double IPA and a double black IPA. Uh, they were actually identical recipes. And all we did, all that was different between them was we, with the black IPA, is a little bit of crystal malt and then some cinema, which is a, a very dark liquid malt extract that they use mostly in Schwarz beers. All right. So they'll add it in tank to a Schwarz beer and kind of paint a lager black. And it, it picks up a bit of that uh, roasted character, but it's quite clean. Uh, and that's not the approach we normally take to our black IPAs. I much prefer going bigger on the roast and I like roasted wheat and it all goes in the mash and we sparge a bit of chocolate. And it's kind of the same colour, but carries a lot more roast profile. So the Jewel of Iron Black version is um, quite light on the roast. 
but other than that, the two beers are identical. So when you try them, you're interested to hear kind of how you how you find them and if they're if they're very different, if they're similar. Yeah. Wow, oh, excellent. Oh, well, I look forward to having those for sure. You're still the king of the black IPAs. You're still the, <laughs> one of the, one of black IPAs' biggest fans. Yeah, I think that's the second part. Is, is definitely how I'd say I'm a big fan of black IPA. I think there's some. Uh, <laughs> exceptional black IPA brewers out there. I wish I'd make more of them, but um, yeah. yeah, it's a start I've always loved. And when I was really getting big into those kind of West Coast styles and and, um, and loving those American hops, black IPAs were on trend. This is like 2012. A lot of people were brewing them. And uh, I was really sad when they just disappeared off the cliff, it felt like. And uh, mm. always advocate you know, more black mm. IPAs in the world. So um, we'll keep fighting the corner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... I think the thing that some people have, I don't count myself uh, amongst them, by the way, but I think that some people have an issue, not so much with the style of beer itself, but with the name. P is for pale. Can you have something that's black and pale? Yeah, it's a bit of a, uh, well, I don't know what the word, paradox, is that the word? Misnomer, maybe? Misnomer. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. But, I, you know, I think it's a good way of describing it because you think an IPA is hoppy. It's, you know, yes, it's got the word P in it, letter P in it, and it's an acronym. But it does describe it well. I, I, like, I like the term Cascadian Dark Ale. Um, yeah. And our Shadow of the Beast, which is our semi-regularly brewed one, count uses that as, as a style. Um, I think that's probably a slightly better descriptor. Yeah, true. But I guess if you're saying, as, as you're saying, that a black IPA is everything an IPA is just... You know, black and maybe a bit kind of a bit more malty, bit more roasty. Then, it, describing it as a Cascadian dark ale, maybe some people might not go for it if they think it's something totally different. If they're not yeah, sure what the style is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. guess it's a bit of a double-edged sword there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I but think, you, yeah. you can't win, can you? Either way. <laughs> there you no. go. <laughs> black IPA is. We'll keep it as black IPA. <laughs> I think the word I was thinking of was oxymoron. Is that the word? Oh anyway. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oxymoron, I think, is the word. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's get on to Collabageddon then. So that's another thing that you guys are famous for. Last year was was it the fifth year, but the fourth iteration? Correct. Yeah, it was, we skipped 2020. Naturally. Yeah. The way it works is that you get 12 breweries together, including yourselves. And you basically, between you, brew 12 beers. Um, each brewery has a home collaboration leg and an away leg. Um, and also you mix it up so that they're not sort of the same, not like a kind of Champions League match where, you know, you have a home and yeah. away with the same, with the same, you know, I would say opposition, but actually in this case, there's, there's no opposition about it. You kind of mix that up. So last year, for example, you had... The likes of uh, Ampersand, Brew York, Fine Owls, Leon C, Neptune, quite a few more, obviously. Whoever was matched up, I think um, a couple of pairings. You had obviously yourself and Turning Point, Neptune and Unbarred, and Brew York and Fine Owls, and Ampersand and Leviathan were just a few of the kind of matchings. But yeah. as we're saying, that Ampersand then welcomed Leviathan, but they went off somewhere else. Neptune welcomed Unbarred, but I think they went down to Leon C. And did a yeah. Sandfire Gosa, which um, I never got my hands on. But that was one really... of my favourites. That was a really nice beer. Yeah. yeah, it sounded really interesting, actually. Now, we're going to come on to 2022. I'm really excited to hear who is coming. But before we do that, I just want to ask you a couple of questions on when you're putting together that list of 12 breweries. How does it work? I mean, do you try to spread it around the UK so that the locations are you know, covering generally a lot of the UK 
in terms of different areas and regions? Yeah, we do. There's a couple of, there's a few different considerations that, that come into it, really. So all of the breweries that we invite to take part are all people we know personally and have got a relationship with. And, and for us, that kind of relationship building uh, and creating new friendships is, is a huge part of Clabbergeddon. But also, you know, the venues we ask and, and help us out by getting involved are nationwide. We try and cover, what we've been to Belfast, you know, all over the UK. So for us, it makes sense for the breweries to be spread out as well. So it's a bit of a, we brewed up at Thornbridge late last year, which is a, definitely a, one of those bucket list moments. And yeah. afterwards, we went, we went for a beer and we sat down, like, right, let's start thinking about Club again. And we, we wrote down and we got this little spreadsheet and then we put like 40 brewery names into it. <laughs> like, really, who do you want to work with? Who, who, who do we like? And where do you go from there, having like so many yeah, names? Yeah, whittling them down with the fact that you do like the geography and, and so on. Uh, but mm. it is quite a challenge trying to um, to find out. And of course, they're not everyone wants to do it or can do it. Um, we do invite them. So there's always a little bit of wriggling around. We have finalised the list for this year. Excellent. Okay. So shall we, shall we delve into that list? Yes. Okay. And now I'm so excited. And thanks again for giving me this exclusive of announcing the 12 breweries that are going to be in Calabageddon 2022. Andy, take it away. Yeah, so we'll go alphabetically. So first up, we've got Amity. Uh, Amity obviously launched during lockdown. Yes. It's a kind of quite high acclaim, and um, I love their branding. Russ is an absolute gent, um, gentleman of beer. Uh, yes. Twitter, but, um, yeah. And yeah, you know, I've met him before, and he's a very nice guy. And I really love what they're doing. I love what they're all about. And we were over in San Diego at the same time, uh, on holiday and we kind of get to, I was following around it felt like and retreating about where we were and oh, I was there five minutes ago we never did manage to meet up but um really want to work with those guys and get them involved so I'm excited about that uh, excellent and yeah I love their beer as well and I've been up to their tap room in Farsley Leeds and in fact they were one of my first guests so I'm terribly excited to see them doing it because I, I love their beer as well so Excellent. Amity at first then. Who's next? Yeah, so now I'll just realise, realise actually you've not even seen this list, so I'm getting a, a genuine reaction from you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> blind, blind. So next is Attic out of Sturchley in Birmingham. Um, oh, right. They, they brew some really exciting beer. I've tried quite a few of their beers. And my good mate Kath just joined them doing kind of sales and marketing. And she introduced me to them. Uh, I did a little spontaneous call around Birmingham. Whereas I was on my way back from Manchester and got off the train because I was quite hungover. <laughs> Didn't fancy sitting all the way back. And I got in touch with Kathy. We went for a few drinks and she introduced me to the guys from, from Attic. And I, I love what they're doing and the interest to what they come up with in terms of who they're paired with is quite interesting too. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, great to have them involved. Excellent. They're a brewery that I've heard of, but I've never had the pleasure to try. So I'm um, interesting to see what they do. So next we've got one you will have heard of, which is Five Points. Oh, excellent. I absolutely love, as everybody does, a railway porter. You can't, um, can't yeah, go wrong one, with a railway porter. One of my favourite beers, and if it's yeah. set on cast, I just can't resist it. Um, yes. Yeah. Fair to say they're the biggest brewery on the lineup this year. Um, okay. But they're a brewery that gave me a bit of a break. Uh, Ed Mason, uh, in our first year, invited us to do a little tap takeover event at their venue uh, in East London, and I met Ed Mason there, and he introduced himself, and was really appreciative that's one of the first chances we've got had to get a beer fully into london and we kind of sent them a speculative email going hey we'd love to have you involved you kind of helped us out and we love what you do and greg who's the head brewer there got in touch and said yeah you know we've heard about this um it sounds like great fun let's do it 
and uh, we're sending them to the smallest brewery on the list, which is a love. I think I love to do with Clam again. Oh, wow. Um, so, um, yeah, that's exciting. Excellent. Excellent. So who's next? Heist. Oh, Heist. OK, Heist. excellent. Yeah, another, so they, uh, again, another brewery I've heard of, but not tasted. So Yeah, so they've been around three or four years now. They had a, they've moved, moved recently to a really beautiful purpose-built, uh, well, purpose-renovated venue in Sheffield. Uh, with a beautiful tap room it's genuinely stunning like go and see it if you haven't and again uh, I've met and hung out with the guys a few times we did a, a festival down in Kent with them and I love what they do I love their branding and at that festival all the brewers were drinking their Kolsch which was an astonishing beer um, wow. and uh, yeah really excited to work with them in this project as well and um, little spoiler we're going up there to brew uh, so. Oh, excellent, excellent. Actually, I tell a lie that I haven't had any of their beers. I did have their collaboration with Emperors, uh, Rum Thing, Rum Thing, Dark Side. Yeah. Uh, I had that. I, I was in Colchester um, a week or so ago, and I was in a, a bar called Two Brews and was there on tap. So I couldn't pass up that opportunity. So I have had, I have had that. Okay, well, go. that'd be great. And it'd be wonderful to see what you guys uh, can do. Are you going there or are they coming to you? Uh, we're going now. I'm, I'm, told, I'm going to be told off for the spoiler, but yes, we're going to <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so swiftly then, let's move on to the next yes, one. Yes, we're back to London again with Jawbone. So Jawbone are okay. down in Twickenhamish on the river. Um, yeah. They've got a boatside brewery. Ben, the head brewer there, and Emma, his wife, I've known a few years. Ben used to work at Weird Beards. Okay. And um, they, again, it's another brewery that started during lockdown. Had a lot of challenges getting all the infrastructure in place. And they're literally in a boatyard, like a, a former boatyard, uh, in a, a building that was used to renovate boats, basically. They've kind of repurposed. And it took a lot of work to get that to where it needed to be and flooring and getting everything gutted and getting all the, the infrastructure in place. But they're, you know, really, I've been impressed with what they brewed. I was there, I think their first ever webshop customer when they, they came live with that. And I've enjoyed everything they've done that I've tried. So really, really happy to have them involved. Fantastic. Okay. So after Jawbone, who have we got? We're going to Lakes up in Lake District. So Lakes, obviously another newish brewery, uh, but with a very experienced set of heads involved in it. Uh, yes. Yeah. They were involved you know, in, uh, was it? Um, Hawkshead. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, it's quite a, a well-known story around how they were kind of let go from Hawkshead under, you know, very yes. circumstances at the start of lockdown. Yeah. And they kind of spent a year regrouping and getting their heads together and uh, launched Lakes. I think it must only have been about a year and a, about a year ago. I think they come up to the birthday um, now, but it's yeah. astonishing what they've achieved. I'm, obviously, the team there, I mean, Matt is an incredible brewer. He's brewed all around the world and is a world-class brewer for sure. Uh, and they, but it's not about just good beer, as we all know. The branding's impeccable. Uh, the, the way they present themselves and tell their story has been fantastic, and they've you know, really hit the ground running. And I'm super impressed with everything I've tried of theirs. And I'm pretty excited when I asked. I was like, eh, they'd probably be too busy, but but yeah, Matt and Michelle were like, no, bring it on. We followed Flamageddon. I think it sounds like great fun, so let's do it. So yeah, great to have them involved. Fantastic. Yeah, you're right. It is one of those breweries that seem to have been around longer than they actually have, possibly partly because of the fact of their story, as you said, being quite well known. But uh, that'll be very interesting as well. So uh, as you say, something up uh, up country, way, way, up, way up north. Are we going uh, even further north next? We're going we? to McColls in the northeast. Ah, McColls. Excellent. Yes. So uh, me and Danny became kind of buddies during lockdown with a bit of uh, a little bit of online chat and 
we're kind of a bit of a sounding board for each other. We're, our businesses are quite different sizes. Um, although, yeah, he, he bought some, he bought bigger kit than we did when, he, when we got started and he brews a lot bigger batches, but we're probably similar size actually overall. We spent a lot of time chatting during lockdown. We both were looking to grow and both kind of wondering, wondering which gambles to take and which, which were the right risks and which weren't. So we spent a lot of time chatting and, and we still chat on the phone fairly regularly. I'm really happy to have him involved this year, Danny. So um, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, another awesome brewery added to the list so who's next so we've got a couple of small ones next the first is pope's yard so they're from hemel Hempstead. a lot of people might not have heard of them they're very small run by jeff latham uh, and his partner barbara a little two-person team uh they brew some incredible sour beer and also some lubber in their heritage styles the big stouts and things like that and oh um, wow they actually helped us with a, a couple of exports recently barbara got in touch about did we want to go in with them on a pallet going to Switzerland and so on? And so we worked with them a little bit. We've not brewed with them, but we, we kind of worked with them a little bit commercially. Uh, and I tried plenty of Jeff's beer and it's exceptionally good. And I'm really excited to give them kind of a, we're going to put a beer that they brewed nationwide. And hopefully a lot more people will know about them after Clavageddon. Yeah, because I guess that's partly what this is about as well. It's not just getting 12 breweries together. It's, it's about, you know, the fact that it sounds like you're choosing some of the really small breweries that could really do with a helping hand and a bit of a kind of recognition that being involved in this would actually give. Yeah, and also, yeah, it's a recognition about how great, there's so many great breweries out there that don't get there. We all, you know, we all, work, we all work into craft beer bars and we all know the names we see over and over. And this project is about people other than those guys, you know, and, and uh, kind of putting a spotlight on, breweries that deserve a bit more recognition there, there's a lot of breweries out there an exceptional beer yeah uh, that people aren't familiar with and that's something that if we can change and put one or two more breweries on the radar and then that's a good year's club again for me certainly yeah okay so Pope Shard are one of the small ones and then the next one is another small one yeah out of Chelmsford there's Radio City Beer Works ah okay yeah now I've heard of those because of when I talked to Leon Sea Brewery I think they, they mentioned these guys as well yeah, so they're friends with Dan down there that runs that brewery. It's so pretty much a one-man band. About to open a bar next week in central Chelmsford. But yeah, I, we went down to brew with Leon C recently and we brewed a, a beer called Press Strata to play, a Strata Pale Ale, a great name that Matt came up with. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we tried a few of Dan's beers and he's got a few little permanent lines down there and he's doing making a little name for himself locally in Essex. And I was really impressed. Um, and again, it's another, uh, he's probably the, Probably the smallest brewery in it, I think. He's going to have to double brew in order to meet the number of kegs we need for the event. Wow. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he's uh, really pleased to have him involved. And we're sending one of the bigger breweries to him. I won't do another spoiler because I'll get in trouble with Ruth. Yeah, that's really exciting. Excellent. Excellent. So we're down to the last two. Last two. So Simple Things Fermentations. They're up in Glasgow. Okay. So Phil, we met at Brew London, not the year just gone by the one before mm. uh really loved what he's doing tried a few of his beers he bought a second-hand canny line off ascot up the road from us and he popped in and said hello after that and he sent us some beer to try was yeah. mega impressed um he's had a few he collabed with thornbridge recently his name's getting out of there for sure but it's a pretty small operation up there in glasgow on the south side where my wife's from up near castle milk yeah excited to see what he, he loves his mixed firm yeah um, i was going to say from the name is it kind yeah, of a mixed firm brewery not entirely, but he does dabble in that. Yeah, another great addition, I think. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice to see sort of breweries that, as you say, add, add a different dimension, not just 12 breweries that brew the same kind of stuff, you know, week exactly, in, week out. Yeah. 
you're not you're never going to get a kind of eclectic mix are you if, if everybody brews the same type of beer exactly and i think part of the fun is pairing people up and pushing them that, that kind of out of their comfort zone a bit yeah so we've reached the final name then the last Who's one um, yeah is in the, the middle of wales i had to google it and zoom out <laughs> uh, wilderness brewery okay sounds like they are in the wilderness <laughs> they are in the wilderness the name i don't know how they came up with that <laughs> but James there does specialise in wild and sour ales, uh, live in, in, you know, in the Welsh countryside, yeah. the brewery's in, in a very rural location, and that's kind of his thing. And um, he was down at Craft Erie in Reading a couple of weeks ago, a local festival that uh, runs each year. I tried some of his beer before in Cannes, but it was a great opportunity to get to know him personally better. And also, it blew me away. His beers are just exceptionally good. He had just a kind of straight blend of ice he was squirting syrup into... Uh, like wood rough syrup and he had some sort of clean mix firms and nice Belgian wit. I haven't had too many Belgian wits in the last year because I kind of <laughs> got off a bit, but with that one yeah. uh, was very, very good. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a nice way to, to round that lineup out this year. Excellent. Okay. So so the lineup we've got starting, of course, with you guys, Elusive. We have then Amity up in Leeds, Attic in Birmingham, Five Points, London, Heist in Sheffield, Jawbone. In London, Lakes Bruco up in um, the Lake District, McColls in the Northeast, Pope's Yard, Hemel Hempstead, Radio City Brewworks from Chelmsford, Simple Things Fermentations there in Glasgow, and uh, Wilderness Brewery in the Wilderness of Wales. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So that is this year's lineup of Clabageddon 2022. Excellent. Um, but we don't know, well, you know, but we're not going to say who the, uh, who the actual matchups are, uh, so you'll have to wait to find those out. Obviously, there might have been a spoiler or two back then, um, but generally, for the most part, um, you're going to have to wait and hear where those breweries are going to be brewing. Yeah, so we're going to, um, over the next couple of weeks, we'll start sorting the venues out for it. We've got some to do it every year, some will we'll find some new venues, I'm sure. Uh, and then probably early September, we'll announce who's brewing with who, the beers and the venues. And then the, the event itself is Friday the 18th of November excellent and that's when it will be uh the beers will be available in bars across the country that's it. it's a nationwide tap takeover 25 venues this year all over the uk fantastic i'm going to try to make sure i'm near one of those bars on that day <laughs> for sure right okay andy thank you for uh, giving us that exclusive much appreciated right so usually what i do is i ask the guests from the previous episode to pose a question to the next guest that was Andy from Ampersand, um, who says hello, by the way. Um, he, he posed a question that I put to Bates and Miranda, but I'm not going to give you that question. I'm going to give you a question that Bates and Miranda from Duration asked. Since we had COVID, British walk up to the bar pub service or American table service when you're at the bar? Oh, that's a great question, guys. At the tap room. We've kind of kept a little bit of table service. People, we'll serve people that come up to the bar, but we do love that one-to-one engagement with people. And then you kind of, you spot glasses near the bottom. Oh, hello, would you like another one? Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. Kind of bit more, um, a bit more engagement rather than that kind of transactional thing at a bar. A bit more opportunity to chat. Mm. Personally, I still love going up to a bar, mostly because I want to see what's on the bar. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. into a bar and I'm scanning tap handles. I'm looking at the, the keg lines, the cast candles, and I'm going, oh, what am I going to have? What am I going to have? Um, yeah. <laughs> whereas with table, table service, pick up a menu. I do, I never really quite did it for me. Yeah. 
Okay, okay. So a bit of a mix then. Personally, you kind of prefer the bar, but yeah. um, in in the tap room, uh, you're enjoying continuing with table service as an option. Yeah, indeed. Fantastic. Now, I've been going over the questions that have been posed down the uh, the episodes. I didn't I didn't start this this current episode is episode fifty two. I didn't start doing this from episode one. I think I started in episode nine. So it's been quite a few questions down the uh, down the last kind of almost couple of years. Some odd ones, some <laughs> quite strange ones. And then there's a few heavy ones. Yeah, but there's yeah. been some fun ones. There's been some fun ones as well. So I'm just going to throw a few out there that, um, that we've had that have been, um, I guess, in the more fun side of things. So Les and Neptune, he asked... What musical artist would you most like to collaborate with on a beer? Oh, yeah, I'll probably um, Neil Finn. Neil uh, Finn from Crowded House. House man, yeah, I have kind of love their music, and um, it's it seems the sort of guy you quite quite fancy a beer with. Quite a chilled out dude, and probably got some great stories, and we'd have a we'd yeah. have a good time collaborating with, with them. Excellent. Too. What kind of uh, beer style do you think he'd go for? Uh, well, I mean, from New Zealand, probably a nice New Zealand pills. I reckon we love drinking those, so why not? Okay. Then a question that seemed to be quite popular because uh, in slightly different wording, Clark from Bedlam and Karen from Overtone both asked, if you had to describe yourself as a style of beer, what would it be? <laughs> That's another... All right, I'll have a stab. Probably like a, a best bitter, quite risk averse and sometimes a bit samey, but uh, quite reliable, dependably good pint. <laughs> right. Okay. And the last one, set by Dario, the head brewer from Aura Brewing in uh, North London. And he said, what's the weirdest ingredient you would put in a beer? So not that you have put in a beer. Um, so you've got to have never used this ingredient, but would. What's the weirdest ingredient you would put in a beer? Oh, man. I mean, the weirdest thing I have used is probably black cardamom. Like, don't ever put that anywhere near a beer. <laughs> I didn't work. Awful. Uh, no, it's <laughs> it just too intense. And it was, it was like smoky peat. Just, yeah, TCP, awful. <laughs> Where do you think I would put in a beer? Oh, that's a great question. I, I love my herbs. I love smoked paprika. A uh, little, little, little bit of fun on a Twitter poll recently. I'd love to put that in a beer. That's a bit weird. But okay. that would work. Yeah, why not? What kind of beer would that be? Probably a dark thing with that kind of slightly smoky flavor but, but yeah, yeah actually I, I, I quite fancy doing something like that oh there, there you go, go. There you go. well <laughs> who knows in, in a few months time we could be drinking a, an elusive stout with smoked paprika <laughs> <laughs> excellent so andy thank you again so much for joining me tonight um i've really had a great time chatting with you and it's been fantastic to talk about everything but also uh to reveal the 12 breweries that are going to be in collab again in 2022 and you know, thanks for helping celebrate my podcast's second birthday um, with that with that special announcement. No, like well done on two years on the podcast, and it's an absolute pleasure to be on. Thanks very much indeed. No, thank you for coming on, and uh, hope to see you soon. Cheers. Wow, what an honour to be told the lineup for Calabageddon ahead of anyone else. And if you listen to the episode early, then you will also have been amongst the first ones to know. Again, Elusive are an amazing brewery and I love their beers. Just like Duration, they're producing some of the best beers around. And congratulations to Jun Chung on winning the homebrew competition. I'm really looking forward to trying that West Coast Rye IPA. 
Okay, let's round off the Q&As. We left it with Charlotte Cook of Coalition Brewing having answered questions from Miranda and Bates from Duration. Now it was her turn to say a question. What would you say to the first person who gave you your first chance in beer? So if you if you were standing face-to-face with the person who gave you your first job in beer, what would yeah. you say? And that question went to Johnny from New Barns. Oh, that's a very good question from Charlotte. It's funny, funny timing as well, because uh, I got through the door from work and had a package uh, of some candles that Charlotte ha- has, had made and sent. Uh, so very strange timing. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, I don't really know what the fir- who the first person would be. Um, like I started brewing in 2009 uh, and I got a, my first homebrew kit from my parents for a Christmas present and uh, I made that beer and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> Not so much that the beer was bad, I mean it was bad, uh, but it was more that I found the process really, really dull. Uh, and it was not what I wanted from brewing at all, of dissolving a, a tin of extract in some water and then pitching some dried yeast, and then that was it. I'm like, this is boring. Mm. It's the cleaning part. And it wasn't until a few years later that I started brewing from from scratch in, ter- in terms of, like, mashing in, and then I started to be like, okay, this is a whole different... This is fun. This is something cool. Um but there's loads of people to, to thank. I mean, I think the person I could probably put it down to the most in terms of my career would probably be Logan from Beavertown uh, for giving me the opportunity to, to come and work there. Um, I was down in London to, to, for an interview elsewhere and was just getting a tour of Beavertown from a mutual friend of mine who we studied together at Harriet Watt and we, I bumped into Logan who I'd met a few times and yeah he asked me to come back the next day for an interview and ended up getting the job and I think yeah it was probably the best place to go during that time it was they were just like just starting to explode and to kind of be at that brewery during that time like 2016 2017 was absolutely mad and it really instilled a lot of uh, work ethic and understanding of how the brewing industry works just through like kind of team that we had back then uh, so I think yeah it was a, a really cool place to work at that time and I think yeah Logan definitely took a took a punt on uh, this guy he'd met once or twice and give me a job and yeah it was a great experience johnny then grabbed his opportunity to ask a question with a plum and went for beer's eternal question do you think bring is more of a science or an art lucy from double barreled was the next guest and her opinion on that was Ooh, deep question I think it's an art. My reasoning 
behind that is that I like to think of brewers in a, the most simplistic terms as chefs, that they are like they have a selection of ingredients and they can create absolutely fantastic things with that. And I think for me, that is an art that you know, whilst there's so much science behind brewing, there's a real genuine sort of skill in making all those flavours work together that science doesn't necessarily solve. Lucy then gave a double barreled question to the next guest. If you had your time in beer again, what would you do differently? Well, is either going for that or what's your favourite packet of crisps? To pose both those questions, I journeyed down to Furl to see Mark Tranter from Burning Sky. Listen to myself a bit more. Yeah. Um, listen to, I don't know. Um, maybe I might have been slightly bolder in my vision for the brewery in terms mm-hmm. of... Uh, I was really worried when we set up, you know, because I've invested all of our money yeah. into it. And I was, you know, had to bolt bits on here and there, you know, and it's we're in a wonderful location, but maybe I'd have been a bit bolder about and believed in myself a little bit more, maybe. There's probably lots of things I'd do differently. Um, but I've had, you know, a quarter of a century of making beer, and there's been some wins and some losers, you know. And it's, yeah. Uh, you learn from both of them. You learn from mistakes probably more than you, what you get right. You learn from both. But maybe like a bit, bit of a older vision might have been good. And how about the crisps, Mark? Uh, salt and vinegar. And it would have to be a classic, like potatoes or um, walkers. As Mark is also a keen musician, music featured in his question. What band would you like to see in what pub drinking what and what beer would you be drinking whilst you were watching them? Answering duties fell to Alex Troncoso of Lost and Grounded. Yeah, I might like to see The Misfits. And, and, and is a, I really like... Um, when it, like one of my favorite songs is "Where Eagles Dare" from the Misfits, so that's um, that's really really good. Now, where where would I see them? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know that's 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 a difficult one. I would skip to what what would I want to be drinking? Um, actually, you know, in that scenario, I think I'd actually well, I'd actually just want to be drinking whatever's whatever beers on whatever beers. Actually, when I think back to in the like when I was younger in Australia, like when you went to sort of gigs in um, a lot of good rock and roll pubs in, in Melbourne and um, one of them in particular um, always used to like in the band room always just used to be cans of you know BB or Melbourne Bitter or something and actually I'd probably um, actually yeah probably see them like in the in the tote which is in Collingwood a venue in Melbourne and just drinking like a can of Melbourne Bitter <laughs> something like that. So. Alex then posed an eternally pondered question between brewers. What's more important Malter hops? I put this question to two people when I went to Bermondsey to help with a collaboration brew between Three Hills and Emperor's Brewing. So here are the answers 
of Andy from Three Hills and Damien from Emperors. I do like a, a really nice multi bit, even like a, like a traditional style. I like like a best bitter or uh, you know an ESB, um, a mild. Um, so yeah, oh, I'd some say great dark miles out there these days, aren't there? The yeah, the the, the box car dark yeah, miles dark super well. good. Um, yeah, the double dark miles. From I haven't star. tried that one though. It's lovely, yeah. really good. Uh, but yeah, I think it's. It's hard to say because it really depends on. I like drinking all different styles of beers, uh, and I know you do too, yeah, Damien. Right? I do. Like, uh, I it, do. It's nice to mix it up a little bit, but um, if I was going to choose one ingredient, uh, it would yeah probably be the malt. Okay, Damien. And it's absolutely the same for me <laughs> uh, because you know, as I say, I only brew big dark beers, usually imperial stouts and porters. Yeah, very malt driven. Very malt driven, and the things you can do with malt, the, the flavours you can get through malt these days is remarkable. You know, I, I've had beers that have got no cacao nibs in, for example, that have a huge chocolate character, and it's coming from the malt, the biscuit characters, toffee. You know, there's some amazing flavours that you can get yeah. with, with malt. Um, so yeah, it's malt for me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect anything other than that answer from them too. So the next question was posed by Damien. So yeah, I, I quite like to find out from people what their favourite adjunct is. Uh, a subject close to my heart. And the person to answer that was Sienna O'Rourke from Pressure Drop. Well, I would probably have to, there's two. They're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, I guess. Um, so the first one I would say is vanilla. Because although it's very expensive, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense to use vanilla. But when you add vanilla to a beer, um, to a stout especially if you're if you're going after that sort of sweet dessert stout vibe uh you end up getting the perception of sweetness without actually having sugar or sweetness present in the beer as much as you get when you taste it right yeah um so it does a lot for that sort of that sense like it's a sensory thing if you smell vanilla you taste sweetness um, so it, it so it works very hard when you use it in um, a dessert stout. So it, it does a lot. Mm. And I think it really, really sells that style of beer very, very well. Yeah. I hope I'm giving away our secrets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other one that I would say is salt. Um, salt, and okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we would put it in most of our um, dessert stouts for sure. Mm. Uh, right at the end, after everything's finished, the beer is fully ready to get packaged. We'll do, we'll pull off some samples and we'll test a bunch of different dilutions um, of salt, and it just finishes the, the beer well. So it makes it taste exactly as if you're putting salt in a dish. Mm. Um, it just brings the flavors together. Uh, you know, ideally you wouldn't really taste it. Um, we put in a lot of beers and not said that we have, no one knows that it's there, but it really sells the flavour and like makes it complete. So after coming in with those two adjuncts, Sienna wanted to know this. Do you think that beer is as good at pairing with food as wine? Or should we let that die? Slash, 
the second part of the question, is there a good ingredient in food or should we just drink it on the side? And it was Dan from Bundabust in Manchester who answered those questions. Oh, I think we should absolutely let it die. If, if it tastes good together, it tastes good together. Like, again, back to the, the whole fun is the journey. I mean, yeah, there's some, some fantastic uh, food and wine pairings, but there's some fantastic beer and food pairings and cider and food pairings and lemon cello and white chocolate cookies. <laughs> where, 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 do, where do you classify that? I think we should let the, let the conversation die. Just let everyone drink and eat what they want and discover these things for themselves. And the other part of the question, Dan? That's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Uh, Again, my fiance is from Wisconsin. So if I said anything about a bratwurst that wasn't braised in beer, she might hit me. She's not. (laughs) Um, No, I think think it can be. Oh, no, I don't know. Maybe. Hang on, give me one second. Yes. Yes, it is. A bottle of Vienna Lager in a chili makes a real difference. Now that it was Dan's turn to pose a question, he decided to actually pose a statement to either agree or disagree with. Can we stop judging beers by how they look, please? Leon C. Breweries, Matt Chinnery and Ian Ridings gave their opinions. I uh, I listened to this on the uh, journey back to mine from the brewery today. I felt I thought I thought he's having I thought he's having a pop of us. I thought he's like a very direct question. <laughs> the way he said it, it made me it made me it made me laugh. You're right. It was more of a statement than a question. I there is a difference between haziness uh, as a fault or haziness because you you just prefer it being a bit hazy. And, Ian will probably laugh because I think I usually sit on the fence in the middle with any kind of decision uh, because I don't want to upset anyone. (laughs) But I'm a little bit in the middle on this in the sense of, yes, I think it is important. I think uh, there is is a big part of me that thinks that you should brew to style um, uh, and that is important, especially with maybe some of the traditional style beers. Mm. Uh, Then also I think there's the practical side of me that thinks um, that sometimes it either just doesn't happen, not through faults, but just through people's preferences I know um like his answer to it was basically like he, he he didn't mind you know we need to kind of focus less on it I don't think it's a case that we should be like nailing it down and making sure that it's always like that but I do I do think there is a little bit of importance to to it but I think there is a vast difference between something that is meant to be hazy and then maybe something that just isn't really meant to be hazy and it is it's like a fault really so there is that importance but <laughs> saying that if my west coast IPA is bitter and it isn't uh, like Pliny the Elder uh, Bright, I'm not going to be on untaps or any other sort of rating thing, typing with anger sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think since working in the industry, it's not as, not that it's not important. I, th- I think there's a bit more leeway, I think. So, Ian, what are your thoughts on that uh, statement then? I, I get what's behind the question statement. Um, I think the answer might be no, we can't. And it might be like even if we, even if we try not to, um, our, you know, our eyes are part of what 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 we use to to, yeah. to sort of sum up the bit. Um, 
Funny enough, just to sort of the link, the question was from Bundabus, I understand. And yeah. I, I last went to Bundabus a few weeks ago. I, I, I went into Manchester on the way home from Liverpool, where we've been to Beerex. Mm. And at Beerex, um, there was a, a great tasting session, a blindfolded tasting session. Okay. Which was run by, was it, was it Andy? Yeah, it was Andy and Chess from Neptune. And Chess from Neptune, yeah. Okay. So they did a, a beer tasting with a twist, and the twist was, you're wearing a blindfold. <laughs> and it was like, it was really like having, not, no surprise here, a really important sense taken away from you in your enjoyment of a beer. So, I mean, and people, you know, even the brewers of the beers were going, <laughs> were asked questions about they didn't recognise their own beer, they thought it was a pale when it was dark or it was a lager when it was a pale or whatever. Wow. Uh, and it just goes to show how much you inevitably rely on what your eyes tell you when you look yes. at it. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I've not got a problem with haze, but I do like to feel like, it, I mean, I love, I love hazy beers, thick hazy beers, but I sort of want to feel like that's how they were meant to be. So I look at it and I, I know the style I'm going to be drinking and then I expect it. I, I, I am a bit fussy, and I'm fussy about our beers and other people's beers. If it's supposed to be, you know, a traditional bitter, I like to be able to see through it sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, and that adds to the enjoyment for me to, to sort of hold it up to the light and go, look at that, you know, and, yeah. and, and to enjoy it. So I, I absolutely get that it should be about the taste and everything, but your eyes do an awful lot of the work, you know, as well as your nose and your mouth. So after giving their thoughts to Dan's statement, it was time for a question for the next guest. And that fell to Matt. How much does a consumer buy with their eyes from a branding point of view and how important is that? Answering this question, Pints and Panels, M Sorter. Oh, I think branding makes a huge difference. Um, I find a lot, I like, I'm, I'm a little bit of stickler for consistency. So when mm. a brand stays on a lot of brands in America, at least beer people like beer brands will kind of go all over the place. And then mm. you go out and there are beers on the shelf and you're like, who did that? I don't know whose beer that is. And so you kind of, you're going for, I, I don't know. I, I, I really, I enjoy consistency in a brand's branding. And I think that we, but we do, if I wasn't like, you know, a, a normal beer drinker and I was just perusing the giant shelves and mm. I saw art that really spoke to me, I, I was in France for a wedding with my roommate from college and we were in a, like a wine shop buying a bottle of wine for a dinner. And my roommate just said to me, I only buy wine with animals on the label. So this one has an animal on a label. I don't know how much it was. And it was a Euro and it was excellent. And so she's just like, that's what I, that's how she goes by what she shops. And so I think now the beer industry is doing that as well, where you walk in and you're, you know, you're a casual beer drinker. You're not a beer geek and you, yeah, you shop with your eyes. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think breweries that kind of go all over the place lose the ability to get repeat customers because if this can is, you know, has a different design on it and doesn't say who it is. And then the next can they come out with is completely different and the branding's on the back. Are they going to get the repeat business? Yeah. And so I think brand consistent branding is very important to build brand loyalty on the same episode as m was clark coslett hughes of bedlam brewery 
So I asked M to set a question for Clark. When did beer heighten an experience for you? So when did beer make the thing you were doing better? And I'm going to unfortunately have to repeat my story, um, but I'll elaborate on it more. <laughs> yeah, so I was in um, Perth in Australia and uh, we'd just been to Cottesloe Beach, um, stunning little beach. The weather was amazing. Uh, we were making uh, lots of good friends there. Um, we were on tour. We, you know, we were at the, the, the pomp of, a, of our life. We were enjoying everything we were doing. And then, yeah, little creatures, pale ale, bang, just the icing on the cake. It, like I said, it opened my eyes to craft beer. Um, this, this is about, I'm showing my age now, uh, 12 years ago, maybe. Um, yeah, I just couldn't believe what I was drinking. And I'd already, it was the first time I experienced Australia. The food is great. You know, the ingredients are great. They really care about, you know, how everything is grown there. Um, everything apart from the animals that want to kill you, I really liked about Australia. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and Little Creatures Pale Ale, it just absolutely blew my mind. Um, there, there was a, he's, uh, he was the doctor of the Australian uh, rugby team. He, he's a fellow Welshman as well, funny enough. And well, here we go. That's how much I like there. I've even got a glass of uh, Little Creatures <laughs> there. Um, yeah, I, he just gave it to me in this little bottle with a little stubby holder. And I was just like, it's a beer, it's a lager. I'm just going to, you know, get that usual cold, cold lager taste and, yeah, I got I, I just got transposed to a different hop filled malt flawed universe. It was yeah, incredible, incredible. Yeah, like I said, the, the whole time anyway, we were touring, I was really enjoying being there, and then that just capped it all off completely. It was incredible. Lovely okay. question. And just uh yeah, brought back some lovely, delicious memories for me. Clark was then thinking along the same lines as Karen from Overtone when he asked. If you had to describe yourself as a beer, whether it be a, beer, a particular beer or a beer style, what would it be? Answering this were the two guys from Middlechild Brewery, Fraser Withers, but first up, Sam Jones. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess guess being the youngest child, uh, I'll go for a Kvike IPA. Um, they're probably the youngest beer out there. Uh, you fermentation rips through in a couple of days. Uh, they're pretty versatile. Um, yeah, so that, that'd probably be me, I'd say. And I suppose really for me, it's got to be something quite, quite brash and out there really. So, and the beer that I actually adore is Katarina Sours really. Okay. Yeah, so Kettle Sours, it's Kettle Sour from, from Brazil. Lots of tropical fruit additions to it, yeah. so they're really punchy, loud colours, screaming orange colours blaring out at you, mango and passion fruit and just loud and like a Hawaiian shirt in the glass, basically. That's what it, that's <laughs> right. what it is, so that's, okay. what, that's what I would say. A Hawaiian shirt in a glass, there you go. So, being a new brewery, Sam decided to ask if the next guest had any advice for new breweries starting up. And in fact, it was my 50th episode, so there were two people to answer this. First up was Joe from Drop Project. And following Joe's answer, it was Alex from Full Circle. I'd love to, to have some words of wisdom if they could give something to, to, whether it be us or any other kind of up-and-coming breweries who are starting out. What advice would you give to a new up-and-coming brewery? 
there's a lot of ways of doing things right and there's a lot of way of doing things wrong and I feel like provided they're super committed to the, the way they want to kind of progress as a brewery which ultimately the beer has to be the, the main focus I think you know certain people's pitfalls has been bad branding although the beer's been good or vice versa right there's been I've picked up many a can that looked amazing and I've been a bit underwhelmed when I've drunk it so I think ensuring that kind of balance between both is something that you should really spend time on but I think from a more sort of commercial point of view and like having taken a lot of advice from John and had his conversations around because he gets asked that question a lot because he often is upscaling smaller breweries or even larger breweries and something he would say for smaller breweries starting out is that actually if you really want to take it to like a level of commercial success then we would always recommend going bigger earlier than later so like we took on a space where we had a sizable 30 heck three vessel brew kit we had seven 30 heck fvs we bought a 60 heck and at the time we were like how are we going to sell all this beer and a year down the line we're like we need tanks again you know we don't need to upgrade the kit but we need more tanks so something a lot of breweries will really suffer with is just not finding the capital or you know wanting to invest early rather than later and i think yeah a big thing for us we would say is like a lot of breweries they may fall victim to their success is not being able to grow sustainably with their sort of demand so for smaller breweries even you know guys home brewing i wouldn't suggest going you know even if they're brewing on a 100 liter kit or a 500 liter kit you probably want to look at like at least sort of going at least five or ten times the size of a small homebrew kit because like in a year's time you will have outgrown that and then you've got to sell that but then when you're selling when you're going through that growing process you're then having to sacrifice your production and all the you know so actually what you want to do is create a space where you can grow into it even if it does seem like an you know it might seem impossible task when you first get it but actually like take it from people who've had to go through you know growing pains the last thing you want to do is have to either up sticks and move or have to buy bigger brew kits, bigger, you know, because like the thing we did early on was invest in a really good brew kit and we can buy tanks all day. That's fine. Tank sizes are irrelevant, but actually brewing sizes is what's going to really, really create a stumbling block for you. So if it's available to you, we would always suggest go bigger. If you want my actual advice, that is number one for me because like, you should be doing good beer anyway. Like that should be, you know, that should be the standard, but the branding again, same sort of thing, but like, for you know, if you want to kind of make success out of it and you want to get paid, then, you know, that's something I would really recommend. From my point of view, um, I would say just keep your beer as consistent as possible. Um, there's, a market to be weird and wonderful. And then there's also the market to just kind of put out really good, easy drinking beers. I feel like you have to kind of sit over both of them um, at the same time. Uh, you've got to have the day-to-day stuff going out, but you've also got to do something a little bit interesting. We, we try and throw out the odd Saison and um, stuff that people say, oh, we're not going to buy because it's a Saison, but they do end up buying because it's actually quite interesting and they enjoy it. Um, and apart from that, just... Just network and be open and honest and learn from other people. And that's probably the best way of doing it. Great answers there from Joe and Alex. But also on that episode, 
were Lewis and Ollie from Bruiser, the beer subscription service. I asked Lewis to set the question for the next guest. If they had to make a drink that's not beer, what would they make and why? And this fell to Andy Hipwell of Ampersand to answer. We often get asked about making other things. Mm. At gin, predominantly. Which, oh, yeah, yeah. Why don't you just start a distillery at the same, same time? <laughs> gin? But I think just going down that route, I think a, a drink I've always enjoyed and, and very interested in probably would be whiskey. And from a very early age, I was, got into whiskey. I travelled around Islet, all the distilleries, tasted them, and, and don't really drink too much of it anymore. But I think I love the almost the mystique that goes with whiskey and the these huge bonded warehouses that are rammed full of barrels. And if you ever go to some of the older distilleries in Scotland and it's, you know, you go and have a look in and there's the history of some of the barrels in there can be 40, 50, 60 years old. I, I find that absolutely fantastic. It's something that really appeals to me and intrigues me. I wouldn't know where to start making whiskey, <laughs> um, still, I suppose, and some barrels. But um, no, definitely, I think for, for a drink that I, I enjoy drinking, but I, yeah i think it's just around that mystique around whiskey i suppose and the you know there's a lot of you know legends and stories and if you do go around distilleries and you meet some of the locals and and what their local distillery means to them and and a lot of them are either directly or indirectly employed by the breweries whether they're electricians or actually work at the breweries or or drivers etc it's just it fascinates me so yeah if i make another drink i'd probably go to isla and make whiskey and you're all up to date with the questions and the answers down the episodes Okay, well, that's the end of another epic episode. Thank you all for joining me and helping me to celebrate the podcast's second birthday. And thanks again to Miranda and Bates from Duration and Andy from Elusive, as well as all of those other guests that you heard in the Q&A sections. Thanks to each and every one of my guests over the last two years. And thanks to you all out there for taking the time to listen. I'm now going to enjoy a summer break and the next episode will be with you in early September. I will be attending the Siren Craft Brew Time Hops Festival this Saturday, so if you're there, come and say hello. I'll probably record from there a few chats with some of the brewers pouring, and that will be on the September episode. Or it may get its own little airing during the summer. We'll have to see how it goes. Have a spectacular August. Hope you all get away for a well-deserved break. And I look forward to you all being able to join me again in September for the start of year three. Cheers.